So it was Mark and Dirk in the second day. From the throw and he just sprinted up the pitch and was like, Jesus Christ, this is going to be a long day. They smelled a the rat with me. They knew I wasn't going to be great going back that way. And they were right. The Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, we have like one of the all-time busy shows for you with a star-studded lineup for you. Uh, Owen is here. How are you? And Kenny Cunningham is here. Morning, lads. Ah, Kenny, how are you? Yeah, all good. All good. What's going on? Oh, this time of the morning, lads. Very little. Yeah, Very you're, little, Scott, you're not, you. not dressed in green. Will you be marching your <laughs> traditional route tomorrow? Like Alan? Oh, yeah. Just, just checked it out That's there. I didn't... Uh, yeah, I'm trying to look at the album, what, emblem. What, what, what? I actually don't know what it is. Oh, right, gotcha. Yeah. Yes, you do, Alan. To try and make it, you just threw that on when you got out of bed, and even me tends and Jay, me and Jay are now different. Tends to be what happens. Hours of grooming, hours of grooming before he comes into studio. <laughs> we, we all know that. <laughs> Unlike Jay, obviously. <laughs> anyway, uh, we were we were just having a, a random enough That's conversation. That's a compliment, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah I've been taking it as one. Thank you, Kenny. About St. Patrick's Day and the sporting action and the uh, the lack of sporting activity. And Owen was expressing some um, interest in your your school's GA career. Yeah, give us your give us show us your medals. Show us your school's medals is what I was asking. The context for this, by the way, is that the school's finals are on in... Two, in two school medals, here. two school medals. I didn't bring up this conversation. I don't know how it came up about the guy. We were just chatting about St. Patrick's Day and how the GEA in Croke Park now is the schools rather than the clubs. Right, gotcha, yeah. I think the point I was making initially was that it'd be good to have some live sport on uh, uh, Paddy's. I haven't been in, uh, in Dublin for Paddy's Day in a long time, but uh, I like the idea getting out of bed and heading down to whatever's your local venue and watching a bit, whether it's a bit of club guy or... County or or whatever, and just taking in a bit of live uh, sport just to just to break up the day a bit. Yeah, something about going to a bit of live fo- uh, live sport. I think uh, it's quite appealing. Paddy's Day, we know where it's going to end up. You know, <laughs> we know where most people are going to end up on Paddy's Day, but the delay nice the inevitable. To, yeah, yeah, I think it's nice to get out there, just break up the day a bit. Now, are you a fan of the parade? Yeah, but I'm saying I haven't been. Because I, I grew up from having this conversation with me, uh, um, my brother uh, yesterday. I grew up in Doris Estuary, so when the parade came up, uh, kind of saying around Parnell Square, it kind of finished. Do you know the Black Church? Yeah. You're doing your little thing around North Dublin there, even your little walk. Yeah, there's a block of flats there. I don't know if it's Doris Estuary flats, what they're called. So we used to walk down, I lived off Blessing Besides Street. Besides St. Saviour's Boxing Club, is that where, that where you are? If yeah, not far, like, yeah, but we used to walk down from Blessing Street and walk into the flats onto the se- se- first or second uh, uh, level and we used to get picked up and perched on the on the edge and just held there. Michael Jackson style. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much so, yeah, yeah. Except there were about, like, 50 kids, like, in the, in the, in the same bar, like, domino. It would have been a domino effect if one kid had gone, about 50 would have gone. <laughs> Anyhow, but that's where the parade finished. Just a black church there. People in the area uh, would know it. So yeah, so that was uh, we were lucky in that respect. We saw the whole uh, parade come and finish. But now I haven't seen it. I haven't been Dublin. I haven't been in Dublin for it could be thirty years since I've uh, I've been in Dublin on uh, Paddy's Day. Will you go to the parade on? Uh, I'll be in and around Dublin for sure. Whether or not I'll take in any of the parades remains. Can you get scene. a good view? Can you get? I can't be I know, like turning up and then it's. You know, just yeah. caught a bit of... You need to know somebody who has a roof who's looking down on one of the, 
the streets because then otherwise it's like what about your pen where's your penthouse chair exactly where, where exactly yeah yeah uh, uh, I, I just know you're, I you're can't, yeah I couldn't be asked with that now you're, you're jammed in with a, a bunch of people who are like yeah breathing all over you yeah, I'm not too sure. The jury's out. I'm, I'm not. Uh, haven't made my mind up now. I was thinking of coming in for a few hours in the afternoon. Not sure it's, it's going to be worth it, though, is it? Afternoon, it might be a little bit like a post-apocalyptic zombie takeover. <laughs> is it? I'm the, hearing quite a lot of that. Is it as bad mm, as that? Is I it? I don't know. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't anymore. Too much messing going. Mm. Is there? I can't be. It's too much messing. I. It's a shame. I can't be dealing with all of that. Like maybe now. the maybe the city has been reclaimed in the last couple of years because of COVID. We'll see. Let's the get live to, sport. That's my answer to it. Live well, sport. That's one. That's definitely one answer. And speaking of zombies, uh, Manchester United season is over. Effectively, they well, they can still. Oh, no. they can finish fourth. They can still finish. Oh, it's fourth. not over. They can go. They can Retract. go. I, I take it back. They will be trophyless. Cristiano Ronaldo's first trophyless season in twelve years. Is that right? Yeah. Poor, poor Cristiano. Um. I felt sorry for him last night. I told there was one moment, lads, just kind of sums up where he is in his uh, career. Uh, late on in the game, maybe 10, 15 minutes ago, he picked the ball up about 10 yards outside their penalty box on the right-hand side. I think he fronted up one of the Atletico centre-halves, I can't remember who it was, and he tried to knock it past him and run around him the other side. And... It didn't happen. Yeah, it was just, just yeah, just in terms of that ex- that acceleration now over you know for ten fifteen yards, just nothing there at all. The defender didn't even didn't even have to work that hard to to run backwards and take the ball off him. So just a small little snapshot where he is. Stick your earphones in there for the first bit. We're going to listen to um, some of the post match reaction. First off, here's David De Gea, pretty despondent, speaking to BT Sport. No silverware again for another season for United. That's going to be five years now. It's not good enough for this club, is it? Of course, it's not good enough. It's it's hard. It's, uh, it's hard for for the club, for for us, for the fans. It's really hard. Uh, this is where we are at the at the moment. Difficult situation, and we need to keep fighting, keep keep trying our best. But to be honest, it's a it's a tough moment again. I feel sad, I feel sad, I feel uh, for the fans as well and for everyone, but we are not, not good enough. Thank you, Deputy. Thank you. Uh, short and sweet. Here's uh, Ralph Ranick, um, again, the interim boss, who's you know counting down the moments now until he's free from the burden of managing Manchester United. Here he is in the aftermath of their 1-0 defeat last night. Have a listen. Well, I think we played a very good first half, exactly the way that we wanted to play. Um, high energy level uh, most of the, the the game in the first half took place in their half um, but unfortunately we couldn't convert that energy into uh, one or two goals we hit the crossbar we had another one or two good moments where we could have scored or should have scored but uh, we didn't and then conceding that uh, one con- counter-attacking goal uh, short before half time didn't make uh, life any easier for us and in the second half, it was it was difficult. I think uh, I don't think that the game went for more than three minutes in 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 a, in a go. It was always interrupted. Somebody lying on the floor. I think also some curious refereeing decisions. I wouldn't say in the end uh, that they were decisive, but at least he fell f- too often for those time wasting uh, antics. And uh, in the end, four minutes extra time was just a joke for me. But anyway. Very good first half. Second half, again, was uh, difficult to find the rhythm again. Ah, Ralph Ranick blaming the uh, 
slightly dodgy foreigners for their time wasting and the referee at the end of it he's settled right into Manchester United life this is this is yeah, good it's a bit, yeah it's a part true to what, he, uh, what he's saying but fundamentally it's just a lack of quality lack of confidence in that Manchester United team just come out in the second half this is this is their level they will get beaten by a team who aren't yeah. who aren't even playing very well at the moment but who are just who know more what their own identity is in yeah. Atletico who have a manager who, who knows their this is what we're supposed to do this is how we're going to do it over two legs we just need to be in this at the end and we'll, we'll outlast them because Manchester United aren't good enough at the moment this is their level no, they're not. You could argue whether that f- they're better than what they're shown at the moment. That's when the kind of that bit of confidence comes in. They probably just can't trust themselves. You know, I still think they're fighting. In all honesty, you can't trust them in terms of what type of f- performance you're, you're going to uh, uh, get out. And first half was decent enough. I'd agree with the manager there in terms of like you know intensity, energy levels. Still think they're lacking a little bit in real kind of quality. Had a lot of the ball. We were in there half the pitch. That's where we wanted to be. Well, initially, of course, that's where you want to be initially. But then it's what you do, how creative you are when you get into that area of the pitch and like how good you are, your combinations, what you're actually looking to do. So United you know, is still a bit short there. Probably not, again, we've, you know, it's all been said, isn't it? That's kind of central midfield area. If you look at their first goal, even the small, that wasn't the Lorente goal, the two goals actually, but the, even the Lorente goal that was um, it disallowed just be, before the first goal. It's a great little combination play in the Atletico central midfield, Koke and Paul, I think it is. You know, the tight little area of the pitch under pressure, they play a little one-two, bump bum around the corner. Which is exactly the same, kind of. Not not exactly the same, but the ability on the ball is exactly the same as the one that creates the chance in the end. Yeah, exactly. But they get in behind the United midfield here. So it's just that little bit, quite that central area of the pitch to work a bit of space, get somebody free, and then it's the ball in behind. Forston was disallowed. Thought it was a great goal. Laurent, they just, just needed to check his run a bit before driving in behind. And then the second goal, again, like bump bum, you know, quick passing. Little overload, not not overcome, but a little, but but quality there, nevertheless. Like yeah, so with the, the the goal comes after a dispute about whether or not Alanga was fouled, and then Manchester United, Ronaldo in particular, is chasing the referee, in, and actually they're not they're not organised enough. And as soon as that happens, Atletico know what they're about. They know the counter attack is on, and the ball goes down the pitch really quickly. There's yeah, but it goes down with a bit of quality. Too. I think people talk down at Atletico too much. I mean, you know, after the game, oh, you know, the black arts, and of course that's part of it but, but you, you can't know get it's away coming. From, yeah but you know but they don't you can't complain about it when you know it's coming yeah, you know that's it's why Ranić pisses me off there because it's like oh Atletico Madrid under this manager are going to disrupt play and lie down and pretend they're injured you know that's going to be the case yeah but that's a small facet yeah, but that's a small facet of the game Jerry isn't it in terms of defensive um, uh, organisation how they defend their box that low uh, block is pretty impressive uh, to be honest with you that's not like 10 players running around like kind of headless chickens after the ball trying to make tackles they're kind of a cohesive unit in terms how they defend and even when they break out from that deep defensive shape they do with a little bit of quality they're not just smash forward the yard uh, long balls up the pitch for for Griezmann and Joe Felix to no. chase they look to play little 5-10 yard quick 1-2 passes to work their way up the pitch so there's genuine the point I'm trying to make is there's genuine quality tech. there's a high technical uh, level of ability there within the team I wouldn't be a huge fan Maybe what Herrera for me would be a, a huge fan of, and I think back to the when Coke played back in the day, and Sal Niguez was at his very best in that central. But these lads can play, can play one two touch, and again that United midfield, that engine room for United, you never feel as if Fred or McTominay can get on the ball on the half turn and play that clever little ball around the corner, that kind of Ivan needle pass, and that's not the only issue there. There's plenty more going on that we all kind of know about, but yeah, it all came undone a little bit. Had a bit of sympathy for been there myself. 
to be honest with you that frustration builds you just you can sense it inside you just not good enough this lot they've got too much uh, for as you know what they're doing spoiler taxis but you can't do anything about it really the whole occasion kind of gets here the frustration boils up you know concentration wavers the whole shebang the game's getting away from you it just feels as if there's nothing you can do about it I think it's it's like it is worth lingering on the point that, that you made there another trophy this season for Manchester United the first time since 1974 that they've gone five consecutive seasons uh, without winning a trophy and like I just kind of was rewinding a little bit this morning to kind of remind us ourselves of how big the fall off has been in this season alone like I feel sorry for Manchester United fans because in a way we all as sports fans go into every season with this sense of naivety that it's you know we're going to win the title whoever you support or whatever your possible level is you're going to think that we're going to reach that ceiling but it wasn't just the Manchester United fans it was the Manchester United players who thought they were going to win something this season like after they beat Wolves 1-0 at Molyneux back in August the day or the day after the Ronaldo signing had been secured you had got David De Gea and Paul Pogba speaking in front of Sky Sports, saying, now is the time to win titles. Uh, even if you go through some of the, the, the social media reactions to Ronaldo signing, um, like you, you had the likes of uh, Marcus Rashford, uh, for example, saying, wow, 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 he's home. Lingard saying, viva Ronaldo. Uh, D- David De Gea with the blushing uh, emoji. Bruno saying, agent Bruno, welcome back home. Luke Shaw saying, I feel like it's given the club a massive lift, not just inside but outside. It's a big positive. He's one of the best players in the world, and he has been for the last number of years. David De Gea in more longer quotes, said, it's like a dream for all the Manchester United fans and for us to have him back like this was the level that Manchester United felt they were at back in August so even though it's been a nightmare 10 years for them I would say that in the context of one season this has been the worst this has this is definitely the lowest point because they thought it was going to be one of the highest points in the post Alex Ferguson era yeah yeah there was a bit of good good feel good vibes around the club at that time you're right a decent was a decent uh, finish to last season was it was the tour they finished in the in the league under Southscore at the end of last season. I think it might have been. But uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I remember a bit of that veranda coming, didn't he? Just prior to that Wolves game as well. And actually played, initially played second quite well. Second actually last season. Yeah, looked, second, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, and it looked as if there was a partnership developing there between him and Harry Maguire. A lot of uh, confidence around the team, everybody kind of talking things up. Never really felt it was going to be a title winning squad, even then. You know what I mean? So you're saying like the trophies isn't good enough. I ne- never thought that team was going to win the league this year, potentially Champions League. Like, but yeah, you could have argued well one of the domestic competitions. I don't know if that's. So I'm never quite, I'm never quite buying to the fact that you know the argument's been a trophy this season, as if you know they've gone and stole the Carabao Cup this season. You know that fine, negates yeah, everything yeah, else. Yeah. That where it's not as, as simple as that is it. But that was kind of basic fundamentals. I think I've always been there in terms of the. You know, lack of quality in certain areas of the pitch, but there has been a massive drop off in terms of the, the dressing room. The dress, dressing room is obviously fractured a little bit. You could, I think, it's too simplistic to say Ronaldo coming into the dressing room has created that kind of schism in there. I don't think it's as simple. But it gave as them that. a sense that they could contend in Europe and in the Premier League, and all of a sudden everybody's like, right, we're ready to win now. And I definitely feel that that was just uh, another ingredient into the, the whole element of, of complacency that we've seen at times. Yeah, but it's not like I mean at the moment there's, there's a, I'm hearing a bit of like oh this is this absolute mess. This it is. is. Where, I think it where, is. Where, where do you even start trying to put this thing yeah. right? I think this is what. How how that Liverpool understand this? You one of these then? What direction? What direction? Yeah. How do we even? Look, it's it's not overly complicated in terms of the four steps you need to take going forward. The only thing that can save Manchester United is Guardiola and Klopp leaving. 
Otherwise, they are staring down the barrel. No, it depends what you mean by save. If you're win the league, win the league. That's the standards. They're Man United standards. That you can't deny that Ferguson decided and 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 injected into the club. If we don't win the league or the Champions League, it's actually a failure of a season. If they won the FA Cup, if they won the FA Cup and they sacked the guy who won the FA Cup. Van Gaal won the cup in the lift afterwards. He got sacked. Yeah. Like, no, it is possible. I, I don't agree with you though, unless Guardiola and Klopp go into that fo- uh, football. If they went in now, they wouldn't bring a title. Guardiola no, no, and, and my, Klopp went my, into Manchester United now. No, my point wouldn't. is they have to leave their current jobs. The only thing that's going to save Man United and get them back to a level where they're going to win a league is if Klopp leaves Liverpool and Guardiola leaves City. <laughs> that's, the, that's, what, that's what they can pray <laughs> no, for. No, it's, no, it's interesting what you're saying, but no, it's not, it's not true. Obviously, somebody is capable of going in there the right type of, with the right type of backing behind him. Yeah, too good a fair point, Pochettino. I think these type of managers who go, uh, could go in there with the right type of backing in terms of player recruitment could have United. I'm not saying it's going to happen in, in 12 months, but over the next two to three years, potentially could arrive at a place where they're challenging uh, Manchester City and Liverpool. I think that's actually possible. Maybe. And it's just the fundamentals. You get the right manager. <laughs> get the right, <laughs> Big deal, though. Simple as that. Right manager and the right recruitment. Okay, yeah. Now, recruitment comes from the relationship between the manager and those people in around the board, wherever you want to title you want to give them, director of football, the lad this, that, or the other, little committee, one, two person, whatever works, just get your recruitment right, uh, get the relationship right with the manager, but just fundamentally, get that's the first step, get the right manager in place, and you'd be surprised how big a jump forward you can take. Yeah, I, I, okay, I agree with that. It's just Everything the, else, addressing, oh, split, oh, everybody got their the own right. agendas, that'll all change, get the right manager in there, strong personality, uh, organises the dressing room clears out the dressing room uh, and then you're, you're on your way gives the club that's the bit of direction that's the direction that you want that comes from the manager yeah in fairness the right if, man you, in if you look back at the team that Klopp inherited like very few of those players are still very important first team and, and that took that took time for him and I mean with Guardiola it was slightly different in that it looked like he had been influencing the transfer policy for a while or certainly the gene pool that he came from had been influencing the transfer policy but the, the job is a big big job you've got to get rid of I don't know how many of that, that team you would actually say yeah I really want him in my team yeah. depending on what, what style of That's play you want this is get on with it then Get on with it. Yeah. Get well, the right that, manager in place and let him get on with it. Have a listen to this. This is, is uh, Paul Scholes talking about Ranić in the aftermath of the game. Have a listen. I think they're only, not only, but I think they're a top-class coach away from getting back to anything near where they should be. I think, you know, you look at the group of players, it, it's not that bad. There's some good players, some talented players, but for the last two years, or maybe even longer, did not have an elite coach. To and to be a elite coach of a coach of a big football club, you, you need to have special qualities. Um, you need to be able to get a team to play you want them to play, which is the, the most important. The philosophy you, you bring into it, you have to have a manager that strikes fear into players. Mm. Alex Ferguson had that. Have any of the other ones that they've had since done that? I don't think they do. I don't think they have. That's a special talent to get them players to be a little bit of a freighter whenever they go out on a pitch you're thinking or even the training pitch if I don't do what this manager wants me to do you think of them City players them Liverpool players like Jurgen Klopp they'll get away with nothing these players here for the last two or three years have probably got away with murder yeah, you, so I only you, think they're a big coach away from I'm not saying they're close to Liverpool and Ch- um, Manchester City I don't think they're far away from Chelsea squad wise I do think they're far away from Chelsea squad-wise, to be honest. I, I, but he's, he's saying what you were saying. Get on with it. Get the right coach. 
it's just that they've screwed up the coach recruitment so badly over the last number of years. They gave they gave Solskjaer another contract. Yeah. They hired Jose when the whole world knew that Jose's magic had disappeared. Van Gaal was such a random appointment who like had not been great at club level in a senior right. important job in a long time. Do you know? Yeah. The so track see, record's so not see, good. So you can keep looking back and back, but it's uh, all that matters is, an, is the next appointment. So just get it right. Learn from your mistakes. Look at the profile of the managers you want to bring in. There might be an argument for saying this: the coach we want to bring in is dependent on his style. I don't know. This seems to be the chat nowadays. This is how we want to play. This is our philosophy. We need to get a manager who fits this philosophy. I mean, that conversation was never had back in the day when I played. You brought in a manager to, to get you winning, to win football games. Now it seems to be a little different. You know, he has to tick the, the right amount of boxes in terms of how, how, how does he play? How does this manager play? Seems to be a big thing. Now, forget about many games that he wins now, now this is a this is a philosophy that we want to see ingrained in the football club so we have to get a manager who fits into that so Tuchel Owen brought up Tuchel we talked about it yesterday in the show of all of the potential available managers in the summer is he the one you would go after hardest oh, if he's a, no I'm a big fan of Pochettino uh, uh, personally I think he's got him and his um, uh, backroom staff I think when Paul Scott says about an elite coach for me, it's about the coach and his support staff. Some outstanding managers out there, but don't actually spend a huge amount of time on the trainer pitch in terms of hands-on, in terms of the tactical maybe setup of the team and spending too much time one v one with the players. They 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 leave that out to their support staff, and that's when you need a very strong support staff around you. Always a bit of talk when Solskjaer left, or oh, the quality of the coach and staff around them, and that's true. That's that's important if you're giving that responsibility to other people. You know, if players if they're dealing with the players on a one v one basis, and these players are high profile, they better know their stuff. You know, they better be winning those players over and bowling yeah. them over in terms of what they have to say in terms of things that they're setting up on the on the training pitch. So it's not just the manager for me; it's the whole kind of management uh, team which is important. So for that, I think Pochettino at this stage of his career now, I think he's ready. I think he's ready to step in. I think he'd be comfortable in that environment, and I think he'd get a lot of respect off the players. I liked how we look how his teams have played. Not so much PSG, a bit of a madhouse over there. I don't think he'd actually set them up ideally the way he wants because of the politics of that football club. Who's got to play, yeah. etc. He wouldn't have that at uh, Manchester United, and I think you'd see him uh, lean back towards in terms of how that Spurs team played during his time there, and they played well in terms of the setup, the tactical setup of the team there, lads. They were very kind of flexible in terms of they went four three three to go a back three kind of wing backs he kind of flipped between the both whichever way they played they were really kind of organised tight knit unit in and out possession kind of high energy say high press it's a cliche thing to say most teams go in high press don't get me wrong but they done it in a really kind of cohesive way and they were very kind of very successful at it and he got the most out of that group that's the best I can say but to the Aspors he, he re- got everything out of that, uh, that group of players generally uh, week in week out I think he could do the same but Tuchel's a great he wasn't even in the conversation was he a couple of months ago but obviously circumstances at the moment looks as if there might be an option there getting him if that was the case yeah absolutely would be would, would he be on the short list yeah I think he would he is that type again in terms of personality and he's Who smart. would you rather Pochettino or Tuchel? <sighs> Oh, I, I, either I, I have them both up there. Too. I'm hugely impressed with uh, Tuchel since he's come into Chelsea. I just he's very clear, even in terms of his pre-post match when he's breaking things down, what he's presenting to people. Probably gives up too too much information, to be honest with. But you can see like he's very clear, precise. Okay. You can see you can say that's how he deals with the players. Gives them good information, uh, well organised, and that little bit of wouldn't say arrogance, but real kind of strength and personality as well. 
All right. Tennis Tank on YouTube is uh, giving out about skulls, putting the blame on the manager, not the players. And Peter G says, the United talking heads are everywhere on TV. They're like the narrators of a Greek tragedy. This is what happened to Liverpool. This is exactly what happened to Liverpool, where their great team of the 80s all became uh, TV pundits. And week on week on week on week on week, <laughs> we're giving out about the team afterwards when it was Roy Evans and Sunis and Houllier and whoever. Um, and those teams obviously always inevitably fell short all the way up to even Benitez fell short but he did win a Champions League so maybe that's what United can hope for I think it's fair isn't it could you, could you say that there wasn't too much there but Paul's goals had to say I thought oh, that's outraged in terms of what he said he actually tried to back up the, he actually tried to give support the players there Libby, so I think there's actually there's a really good squad yeah but he's, that's not right but that's not right that's not tearing that's the not players really are on the field the, the players have to take responsibility for this like they, like okay yeah, so but you've made a point that you made a point there about ex-Manchester United you know, players like jumping on the manager well, the, 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 and, the, and beating him up like well if you're saying like it's they're well they defended Solskjaer stand up. they defended Solskjaer until he was over well that's a little bit different that's a little bit different that's the opposite argument yeah now you're saying that's the opposite argument they're looking after well they were now I can understand that yeah I think they were and they that's the natural thing Jerry you probably do the same well own own jumped across he, he throws me under the bus took a big took a big pa- page increase from other radio station and, wh- and whatever there'd still be a little bit of warmth between no, you no no you still, no you still have his back there is no warmth you still have his back Jerry wouldn't you <laughs> so I can understand I can understand we're colleagues not acquaintances, <laughs> acquaintances so the soft score friends. thing and the United lads I, do you know what I don't mind saying that because that tells me do you know what even after all that time they've been apart they've been out of the dressing room forever it's 15 years that group of players still a little bit of a bother. their natural reaction is still to defend their mate a little bit I, and it's in a funny way I, I, okay, I, I, I like to say it but okay, you're right in what you're saying yeah. it's very difficult all to right. be uh, all right. objective all right. but that's not the point you originally made I've got to be honest I'm with making, you I'm making multiple you're points the opposite. It's, like it's a hive mind here Colin on YouTube says no manager will get those players to win the league Atletico pressed Maguire every time he was on the ball how he's playing with never mind captain of United uh, mass player clear out needed he says one last point on this uh, could he be if if Tuchel arrived? Could he be saved in the back three? The way like the lack of pace that Thiago Silva has isn't an issue for Chelsea because he's surrounded with, with pace and the manager is really smart and knows exactly what he's supposed to do. Is there a, a recuperation that somebody like Thomas Tuchel can save Harry Maguire and not be a complete waste of the eighty million they've spent? Yeah, I think that I think that's a fair point. You have to look at his qualities and think: Do they outweigh maybe those? small weaknesses in his game so when you look at the qualities you look at how say how dominant he is in the air you look at his football and ability are you going to play in a manner in which you're going to ask you're talking about a back three your your middle defender to get on the ball and instigate your attacks to kind of drive into midfield and be the launch pad for attacks from the back if you are then you're saying well maybe I can integrate this fella then into the team I've got to protect him from the sides I might have to play a lower defensive block protect him in behind a little bit all those things so they're little things you have to kind of uh, marry up I'm not exactly sure to be uh, to be honest with you too so when he looks at Maguire he'd come to that conclusion I just think that lack of mobility kind yeah. of athleticism and just in terms of where he is I think mentally at the yeah. moment he looks to be absolutely shot almost comes a point with a, a player you feel as if it probably be in his best interest. Send him back to Leicester. Clubs. Trying at twenty million. <laughs> well, they've they've taken Vestergaard from uh, Southampton for twenty four. He's probably as clunky as, as Harry Maguire, and he he can't get his way into the Leicester the Leicester team either. So yeah, I f- I feel as if you're right, Jared. There's an ar- there's an argument for in terms of can we get the best out of him, protect him at the same time. 
but I just but feel as if at those top how many how many of those top clubs you look at Liverpool's back to like two centre halves you look at the Manchester uh, 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 cities others that you've mentioned who carries Nobody. somebody in the central defence one well, or two of those players with those kind of deficient particularly in terms of mobility and speed Thiago Silva's success at Chelsea is a bit mad it is a bit mad he hasn't got much he's on his last legs to be fair he is on his last legs but he's been on his last legs the whole time since he arrived but he's smart he is is smart I'm way over time I'm way over time 7.57 this morning OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day we've got uh, Kenny with us all morning Keith Wood is going to join us at 8.15 to preview the Scotland game we've got the sports pages 8.35 Tommy Walsh going to join us at 8.45 Andy Mitten at 9 talking Cheltenham at 10 past 9 bringing you some Brian O'Driscoll goodness at 9.30 John Duggan with the Cheltenham tips your way at 10 past 9 this morning it doesn't matter who they get in in a year's time the media will be spinning it as the wrong decision like they're doing with Conte now says Richard Redballs I don't think anybody thinks it was a bad decision for Spurs to get Conte in it's just that um, who knows where it's going to go the new manager would need to be allowed to bring in his own coaching team there are still coaches there from the days of Mourinho I don't think he can bring in 50 coaches like there are 50 coaches working at Manchester United at the various levels so he's got to bring his first team squad in but I don't know are there any of the first team people there who were actual Mourinho appointments as opposed to players who come through the club uh, we do want to talk about um, sorry I'm going to give you a, an opportunity to win first uh, before we get to Arsenal-Liverpool so get your Arsenal-Liverpool uh talking points ready for us there and uh, right competition time this is exciting we've got two pairs of tickets to give away today across OTB Sports to Ireland against Scotland in the Aviva Stadium on Saturday afternoon it's all thanks to Aldi official fresh food partner to Irish Rugby who this month launched Play With Your Food with the IRFU new research by Aldi has shown that over 40% of Irish kids do not eat fruit and vegetables every day who has 60% of kids are eating fruit and vegetables that is I am astounded um, fruit and no fruit or veg. Yeah, do not eat. Fruit. Those fruit shoots, do they come into? They don't. I don't. Count, I don't yeah. think they count. <laughs> uh, play with your food encourages kids to think differently beans. about about how they consume fruit and veg. Like beans, Le- legumes, veg. legumes. It, no, it says one of your five a day on the packet of beans these days, doesn't it? Um, there you go. The game is sold out. If you want to get your hands on the last pair of tickets for the match, stay tuned to enter our competition and be with the chance of winning the pair of tickets to Ireland Scotland. You have to do the following: follow OTB on TikTok. It is at off underscore the underscore ball. That's our handle. Snappy. Like our latest video and comment from uh, our code word, Finn Russell, to enter that code word with Finn Russell. We'll pick a winner at random later today and get those tickets to you. Just make sure you're following the OTB TikTok account because we can't DM you for details unless you're following us. Right. Let's talk Liverpool and Arsenal. Owen has fears, mm. strong fears, that even victory tonight if they're inspired by the wrong player to victory, will in the long term be a defeat? Explain your thinking. Well, well like, I, I know it's like years old and I hate to keep doing Game of Thrones references, but wasn't there a situation where uh, Tyrion found the love of his life and it turned out that his father was actually uh, in love with her and said and stole her away from him? And uh, it was quite a brutal uh, scenario where the father gets killed by Tyrion in the end. I'm not sure if Arsenal will have that sort of level of revenge, but I just wonder, is there... I'm struggling remnants, with the comparison to be honest with remnants you. Remnants 2008-2009 coming back to, to Arsenal here where they're, the loads of their life <laughs> are going to be stolen, Kenny. Keep and going. They will be stolen Keep going, on, keep going. And they will steal away with the mist. Uh, an the elder. Mist. This is Kevin Caban explaining the Nations League here. Yeah. <laughs> you see, this, There's this a thing is, called Oedipus where, have you heard of that? Yes. Yeah, okay, so it's, it's a bit grim for this hour of the morning. It but is, It is. You know, it falls in love with the mother, mm-hmm. ends up killing his father. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? 
Yeah, let's go with that one. Let's, let's go with that one, but I'm not sure about this. Let's the, go with anything, basically. But, but okay, from, let's have I'm not sure about the killing part at the end. It's so basically Jurgen Klopp likes Gabriel Martinelli, and I'm very afraid that Liverpool will sign Gabriel Martinelli. Discuss. Ah, excellent. Th- thanks for that. Thanks for that bit of clarity, Al, at the end of it. Is that, has that been mentioned in the dispatches, is it? Well, the potential links haven't been mentioned. All you can go on is Jurgen Klopp's actual words about uh, Gabriel Martinelli, describing him as a talent of the century in 2019. The League Cup, obviously, that Liverpool dumped Arsenal out of a couple of months ago. He says that everybody should remember the name. Little Martinelli, we will talk about this player in the future. He, if he'll be without major injuries, he'll have a proper career. He called him an outstanding player. Uh, obviously, I mean, maybe there's some sort of loyalty to Edu for, for spotting him and, uh, and, and bringing him over. But I think, as we've seen in the past, if a bigger club comes in for an Arsenal player uh, they don't tend to hang around too long things are different now they're moving in the right direction but my fear is not so much this summer my fear is that if Arsenal don't get top four this year then there is a massive deal of pressure on the club to get top four this time next year because then you're in a situation where Saka and Smith-Rowe and Martinelli are all one year later in their contract they're all one year older they're all one year uh, down the line and away from not winning the Premier League title or from the Champions League title and I fear that there may be a crossroads coming again just like Arsenal were in the end game of Wenger where they couldn't push for those titles and they started to lose those players who could help Manchester United and Manchester City for example win those titles yeah that's always going to be the case and you're right in terms of some of the, the young talent at the, at the club it's as good as probably not actually it's probably the most the strongest pool of young talent that I can think of I could argue maybe Pedri and Gavia uh, and Sufati in the uh, Barcelona but even they're, like they're Manchester City yeah, yeah but in terms of the, the, the age profile of those players Martinelli you've mentioned Smithrow and uh, Saka the ones we're talking about in particular Odengard you'd put in that card as well but he's come in for big money so you, you know you'd have to reference that but that's as, that's as good as anything around and you're absolutely right um, keeping those uh, players getting them under a long contract is going to be the biggest challenge in uh, facing Arsenal going forward and you're probably right on those those uh, individual players will be looking at Arsenal saying well can I, can I fulfil my ambitions here in terms of challenging for a title playing Champions League football you're absolutely right uh, year in year out I think that'll be important this season if they can steal that fourth uh, spot that might encourage one or two of those younger players to extend their contracts because that's going to be huge for Arsenal if they're going to bridge that uh, gap to the top kind of three got to build a team around those that young uh, cabal of uh, young players which they have mm. personally I think Saka for me is the, is the outstanding talent of them I wouldn't agree with him in terms of Martinelli Martinelli's an interesting woman he first broke into the Arsenal team people forget he played a couple of games actually down the middle as a central striker and, and, and caught the eye now he's come back into the team and he's playing kind of left of a three and obviously doing well there still think potentially maybe he could step into a central area he could maybe solve one or two of Arsenal's problems playing down the middle I wonder if Arteta looks at him and sees potentially he could save me 50 million the transfer market by actually playing down the down the middle of the pitch but Saka for me is the one head and shoulders absolutely out that kid could play any 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 club in the top clubs in the world he could walk in the PSG uh, Real Madrid at the moment even Manche- Manchester City and absolutely be seamless to transition playing in that environment he's that good now the one thing is I will kind of like completely say here that it is utter paranoia if we look at the evidence here the only person who is out of contract in that cabal of young players that you mentioned there in 2024 is Saka and we know that Arsenal are working on getting a new contract which is going to be worth a lot of money uh, to Saka to get him beyond 2024 so all of a sudden then the 2023 window isn't as important as my paranoia just pointed out there because Smith Rowe is 2026 Martinelli is 2025 I think right. uh, so, and I think Odegaard is set on transfer market is 24 
Martinelli when I checked this morning. I'm seeing 2025 on. Are you saying his contracts up? Are you saying his when his contracts up? Or yeah, when his contracts up. Yeah. So like one year out, you'd obviously have right. have to, to, to catch. But they're in good shape then. They're in good shape. Exactly. So that's why I'm saying it's just paranoia. But also on, on top of that, if. Uh, something goes wrong in one of these contracts and they do have to, to cash in or they're forced to cash in a little bit. It does seem that the recruitment last summer has been good that if they got a massive windfall off a player, they could recover relatively well. As long as they don't have a fire set, as, as long as they don't lose everybody, they could recover from a little bit of a transfer market setback. No, I personally no. think they need to keep those players and add to it. I think yeah. that I don't think that squad. I think they could pinch uh, fourth position for obvious reasons uh, this season, but next year I don't think the squad as it is is actually strong enough to to remain in that position. I think they need to strengthen the squad's not deep enough. That uh, that's obvious, and I even think in certain areas of the pitch, still even think centre uh, midfield. Mm. If you're going to be committed to Granite Jack and centre midfield for the majority of the season, I still think he can do better there. Um, and the centre forward position is absolutely huge. I don't know what's going to happen. It's a big decision to make with Lacazette. You're talking about our contract. He's out contract in the summer. I think they've had the best of him, uh, Lacazette. I think he's only heading one way over the next two to three years. My gut feeling tells me let him go in the summer. He's on a free transfer. Get him off the wage bill and go and buy big. They tried to do it in the wind. They tried to get Vlatovic in. I thought it was a good fit. Uh, couldn't get him. They need to go and spend the money. Not just maybe not just on one. They need to make the decision then in terms of whether uh, Eddie and Ken is good enough to play as a number two also out of contract this summer our contracts are well. and if they don't look at him and think he can't lead the line for a, for a period of time if we need him then they've got to get money for him now somebody people have paid 20-30 million for him and then you go almost got to get, go and get two centre forwards uh, with the proviso that I said that you don't feel as if Martinelli maybe can come in and play in that central area so they're the positions for me they yeah. basically need they need to keep what they have on but they also need to strengthen if they're going to maintain uh, that challenge for a top four and very slowly begin to eat in to those um, those three teams above them but they're, they're in a good place I mean that's not a negative no question no, it's just pure um, pure goals from the past speaking here and it takes it turns out it takes a while they've to got a good manager now but they're, they're, they've got a good manager now turns out that way yeah and that was, it's that was taken him a while, yeah, and it's taken him a while, isn't it? You're talking about new manager coming in, match clopped the amount of time it took him there in terms yeah. of coming in, clearing the dressing room, preaching his mantra, getting people buy in, and all of a sudden over a period of time, whoosh, gets ingrained, and you're on your way. It feels of Arsenal a little bit there at the moment. You watched them play uh, the game I watched the last game they played uh, the other night. What was the game they played the other night? Beat Watford or the one after that? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Well, Leicester last, City on Sunday. Yeah, my, uh, last Sunday. Yeah, they beat Leicester on, on Yeah, Sunday. Leicester, excuse yeah. me, I was covering the game. Yeah, Leicester, yeah. But you look at them play, yeah. uh, like um, when they play now from the back. It's almost like it's computer game stuff now in terms of the split, players understanding where they need to be, when to play one, two, two, it's playing around the corner, knowing where uh, uh, players are. You know what I mean? They're, they're really playing at a good level now. It's a real kind of understanding, game understanding in terms of how they, how they want to play and how the manager wants them to play. And they're being quite successful with it. Now, individually, they can improve around the pitch, but they, they are in a really good place. That's a, such a dangerous game for Liverpool tonight. Liverpool are really going to have to be sharp tonight. Not so much sharp in terms of their attack and play Liverpool, but switched on really our possession in terms of like counter-attack because of the, the quality of those players that we've mentioned particularly on the counter Saka Martinelli's absolutely uh, rapid isn't he uh, Odegaard looks as if he'll play smith can't even get into the team at the moment but Arsenal are, Arsenal are very dangerous at the moment Liverpool Liverpool aren't going to tiptoe the way through this game tonight in terms of 60-70% you know what I mean and playing maybe phases you know Arsenal playing with a lot of confidence at the moment I'm really looking forward to the game Liverpool, do you make them title favourites if they win tonight? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think they're close to being there now anyway. Right. To be honest with you, yeah. Hasn't surprised me. I don't know, I didn't, probably didn't speak to you. It was maybe about a month or so ago, three, four weeks. Just felt as if Liverpool were primed to go. And to be honest with you, I'd have been surprised if they hadn't. But this this isn't like, shouldn't be a surprise that Liverpool suddenly now are breathing down the next Manchester City. Just in terms, they just got on a bit of a run. Players back, squad top heavy, everybody hungry. Just felt as if right here we go they're just putting a charge in here so no it hasn't surprised me it looks as if Manchester City will hang around so we should have a nice to and fro right up right up until the end of the season but no Liverpool are in a great place at the moment Liverpool hammered them in November in in the game at Anfield it was 4-0 yeah. and it wasn't close it didn't feel close no, it really all. felt like this is an exposure of where Arsenal need to get to but since then Arsenal have obviously had form and a settled selection and decided what their best team is. Yeah. We've also got the Carabao Cup in the middle of that as well yeah. where, where Liverpool exposed Arsenal yeah. again and they were, Arsenal almost celebrating with the nil all the, the first day out which in fairness was, was a good result in, in the context of things but there was a gulf in those three games so far this yeah. season. But even like Arsenal defence that back four unit now stabilised they've actually got a partnership now centre half you know you could kind of hang your hat onto a point still have small reservations about Gabriel but he's improved this season his partnership with Ben White he's been a stabilising influence there Ben a huge amount of money you're talking about money well spent yeah he was a good player to bring in he has improved the team but that's a huge amount of money 50 million but he has held Tierney's obviously top class left back Tommy Yasu will come back in Ramsdale maybe a couple of question marks people Ooh, it's a slight gamble bringing this lad in playing with a huge amount of confidence and then that confidence runs through the whole team. So even the defensive setup now, that kind of screen in front Partey, mm. like an animal in midfield, getting around, making tackles, breaking things up, getting on the ball, charging forward, scoring goals yeah. at the weekend, that Not bit bad. of all action. So, well, that's what I'm saying. That's a big step up in terms of... So that helps in terms of the, the defensive solidity, which has always been an issue as well for Arsenal. That's looking a, li- that's looking a lot stronger now as well. Well, as well as to what we've been talking about in terms of their attacking quality so yeah hence the reasons they're in a, a good position Aubameyang started that game and played the full 90 minutes against uh, Liverpool the last time things have, things have changed that mm. was important I still have him no I still have him there no. at the football club I've got to be honest with you this is where I disagree no. a little bit in terms of Arteta, uh, Arteta so I'm talking about Lacazette at the moment I don't think he's the best fit there at the moment I, I, I think they could do better and for me, Aubameyang was better. Now, you could argue our oh, attitude and all that. Yes. Yeah, abso- yeah, absolutely. That's important. But, but, so, so now we're getting back to managing managing players. Now, you talk about, you've talk, you've, you've uh, uh, talked up uh, Tuchel, next Manchester United manager. He's got all the attributes, ticks all the boxes, strong person, had the whole shebang. So how did he, what was his attitude to Aubameyang when he had him at the How did he handle him when, it, these, uh, when these situations presented themselves, arriving two minutes late for the meeting or, or coming down and missing a breakfast and all, all being in a bit of a tears and that how did he handle it did he give him the you know did he did he find him did he ostracise him from the group did he publicly humiliate him this ain't good enough no he handled him a different way he understood right this fella it's just it's, it's innate in the moment in his nature I'm not going to fight him but he's loved in the dressing room the players love him there's not an issue there he, he elevates the team and makes the team better so I'm going to suck it up and that's how and that's how he handled it Bamian said he was great at the training pitch good trainer brilliant player but obviously had these issues in terms of timekeeping whatever you want to call it but he handled it differently and he got the very best out of him Arteta's gone a different road he's out the door now and he's kind of we'll see how he goes in Barcelona he's having a decent spell there at the moment so time will tell I think he can have both I don't think yeah. it has to be one or the other I'm more Arteta to a certain extent in terms of discipline addressing this is how can things I just have say, to be uh, how, how do you square the 
we've got one of the best batches of young players yeah. in the world and we're yeah. also going to have someone who yeah. seems to be jetting off missing training is our captain and yeah. is supposed to be a leader and he's setting a really bad example I, I all about the dressing the specifics are important but if you're talking about a bit of late keeping for me I was never I'd never a big issue uh, with like people turning in it was never a big issue for me they came onto the training piece they kind of trained well they turned up on a Saturday and played I had absolutely no problem with that so for me it's all it's not how I feel like I'm a disciplinarian it's how I'm perceived if I let this go I need to be seen to be strong for me my my first thought would be it's about the dressing room what effect does that have on the dressing room how is he being perceived by the other players and if the other players look at him and think oh we just love this fella we just we want him we know how good he is a lovely fella we love him. we love his company and he's a huge Huge asset to the dressing room. For me, do you really want to go and burn all your bridges by you know, you know coming with a heavy hand and ostracising for the group and literally actually pushing them out of the dressing room? That's interesting. I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think you can have both of those things. And I think the very best managers. And I think Tuch is up there at the moment. This is how we this is how we handled them at Dortmund. They got the very best out. Of them. Now I like that style of management rather than potentially kind of the, the hard hand which Arteta's come with. Yeah, look, I, I, I get the point you're making. I, I do think that probably there's a significant difference between the Dortmund dressing room at that stage when you had a bunch of seasoned players who had won the Bundesliga under Klopp and this current squad at Arsenal who you're trying to get to be the hard-working team that presses the way that ah, yeah, but hard work, that's but that's the that's the difference if he's hard work, if he yeah. takes that onto the training pitch he's sloppy in terms of his training he's not working or not showing up bad, bad, bad now showing up's a little bit different like, you're trying to make out he was on a private aircraft over to south it, of France it was, it was an Vegas and it, like he was, he was allowed to go. He just returned day from it. Like the, the one thing I would say is that like there seems to be a very big difference between how Lacazette uh, and his role is perceived in the dressing room compared to how Aubameyang's role was perceived. And it feels that as if Lacazette is kind of like the dad of that squad at the moment. Like he's the old guy, and also even his the way he plays, where he brings those amazing youngsters into play around him, uh, kind of just as emblematic of, of his role in the dressing room at the moment. All right, we, we, we let the the listeners can decide. Yeah, you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream for us, or you can always tweet us at Off the Ball A. And OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Still to come, hurling with Tommy Walsh. We've got John Duggan at Cheltenham. We'll talk to Andy Mitten in Manchester. But next, Keith Wood joins us. OTB AM. Kerry, we're missing Shawnee, right? I'm saying the importance of a number 11. Kerry's number 11 is probably the best in the business. Like That's going to be a huge addition for them. Also missing Ganey, mm-hmm. Paul Murphy, Gavin White and Moran. Like, there's a lot of strength to come into Kerry. The Kerry people not usually try and play down their chances win the other. Are you putting them in as red half favourites here? What's, no, the, no, opposite? What's the opposite I'm of saying, a Yera? I'm matching up. I'm matching <laughs> up. Mayo. You're going off peace here, Jimmy. The lads are going to be antsy. Jacko's ringing you there in the background. <laughs> He's not in the WhatsApp group yet. WhatsApp group yet, no? <laughs> I think, though, that Mayo nearly came out of the weekend looking a bit better. Do you know, they, they were nearly saying... yeah. No, no, that probably is the consensus. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, Kerry have a bit of, bit of work to do, but they have a couple of top fellas to come back in. Okay. And that game, you, I was watching that game with a view to the summer. You were watching that game in Ventry, in Paddy O'Shea's. That's where you were watching that game. <laughs> he wasn't watching the game at with all. With a view to the summer. <laughs> you were 15 points deep. Right. What's going on, Owen? James, 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 you've got you to gotta cool the Jets here. What are you doing? <laughs> 15 points, that's old school. It's a secret. It's a secret that Carrier go to football. Uh, Yeah, number one in the power rankings. And now, James, I don't know who, on this week's edition of the Football Pod. 
has laid the truth out. They have strength and depth. They have um, the best number 11 in the country. They've got the best inside forward in the country. They have uh, the, the northern genius, the tactical masterclass to um, get the defence up and running. That's episode eight of season two of the Football Pod. It's available to listen right now on podcast. You can subscribe and listen in the Football Pod feed. Or you'll get it if you subscribe to OTBGA. And we are aware that there are some teething issues with some old feeds uh, on various podcast platforms. If you're a Pocket Cast user, we apologise to you, but we're getting that rectified. You will get all our podcasts available on the OTB Sports app as it stands now. And you'll also get the latest episode of The Hurling Pod. Uh, Tom Parsons, Donal O'Neill, and later today, Tommy Walsh. And we're finished uh, chatting to him later on on OTB AM. You'll get that in our GA feed as well. In the meantime, Keith Wood is here. Keith, good morning to you. Good morning, gents. How are you? Um, we need to cheat more. That was the conclusion yesterday uh, when we were talking about the front row with Mike Ross. He was talking about England. We were like, what do you do when England are doing what they're doing? Because it's no good crying about it after a World Cup semi-final or a World Cup quarter-final if somebody does to it. And he plainly says, well, I'd like us to cheat a bit more. Yeah, I can't really. Um, it's not exactly one of the virtues of the game that we would extol too often, but I couldn't uh, help but agree with him. Um, it's funny, I was looking at it and I could see Furlong complaining and um, I don't think you can criticise Genge for a strategy that worked very well. Uh, there was a tiny little bit of a push after the after the uh, the engagement, but it was also the crab on the outside. And actually, if you could see a little bit on the overhead, um, Jamie George is an incredibly... Uh, bossy hooker and he was just going directly across um, and down on top of the right shoulder of uh, of Sheehan and putting a huge amount of pressure through, through there and to be honest Sheehan hasn't played a huge amount of, of rugby so this is a fairly steep learning curve for him um, but I think Furlong should have loosened his bind a lot um, and put his pretty much put his arse out and drive in or else let Genge go and let him go and walk around the outside because we were suckered consistently. I mean, the first scrum was brilliant, but after that, we were suckered in nearly every scrum. So a couple of things, right? The the, the technicalities of what you're talking about are fairly obvious. Is there anything else you can do as a captain in the past to influence the referee to like, like just break the pattern of vision that the referee has where he's saying, no, you're getting killed. Stop complaining. In his head, I mean, maybe he knows what he's talking about. Maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe he's an expert on it and has just decided that, um, well, all's fair in love. I don't know. But what what can you do to influence the outcome when it's going against you like that, apart from the the change in the technicalities? Is there anything you can verbalise to say, hang on a second, this is nonsense? Well, for in, in fairness to Renal, I think he's a very good ref. I thought he, I thought he ref pretty well. Um, at scrum time, I think he was suckered as much as we were. But yes, you do have a conversation with it, but it can't be constant because that just drives the referee mad. And to be honest, um, the ref didn't have a huge amount of interest in having a conversation about it. The one time he did take the two props out, he actually what he actually explained was exactly right. But a lot of the French refs will give it to the team that's going forward. That's just part and parcel of the way it's refed in France an awful lot. So um, in my belief, what we I, I think you have to take things into your own hands. So you either collapse some of the scrums. 
you either, um, as I said, loosen the bind. And that means there's an awful lot that's required for that. But in, in terms of getting the referee to change his mind with it, you have to paint a different picture. And the same picture was being, was being painted for the whole game. So Dan Sheehan's a really big hooker. Um, uh, sometimes you just need to leave the tight head alone. And um, his shoulder, his right shoulder is very high. If it's very high and you have a smaller hooker against you, that can put you under huge pressure. And once there's any bit of movement on the tight head side, um, you can be, you can just be shunted out of position very quickly. And that's what it seemed to happen to me. And look, I would know 90% of what happens in the front row and you're still trying to guess it. Now I was at the game and I couldn't quite see it, but I went through it again yesterday. And, um, but I felt there was a tiny crab and I'd have, I'd have said to, to Furlong, it's you, you're the senior guy, you take over. And if that means you go in, in, in um, to blitz, to absolutely blitz them and push them back, that's maybe the only way you can change that, that view for the referee, that if you attack them, let Genge go on the outside. But it's much easier said than done. And was that also harder to do without James Ryan or, I mean, should they still have been able to do that with Henderson packing down? Because it's not like Henderson's um, small. Yeah, I thought, I, look, I, I we, we seemed totally off balance on the right-hand side of the scrum. So um, whether that was the change of, of James Ryan coming or going off or whatever, I don't know. But I do know that um, we haven't seen that much of that being got away with in international rugby. And, um, and like, that is... That crabbing is one of the issues that can happen when you don't get a good hit in the scrum and there's no hits allowed anymore. So I'm surprised it's taken this long for that to happen. You were saying you were there, Keith, and then you watched it back and it's only, I suppose, on rewatch when you start to appreciate these things. I assume as a player it's hard to, to spot them as well when you're right in the middle of it. So is it down to the coaching staff to get a, a message out there when they start to see these trends emerge early in a game? No, front row have to sort that out for right. themselves. Yeah. And can, can you feel it can, or... or well, look, I can give the view that Dan Sheehan would have been inside there. He, uh, I think we mentioned this a few weeks ago about big hookers, but um, sometimes you need to get yourself locked into a position where you can't be lifted. And that means loosening your bind with your right hand, which is counterintuitive because everybody talks about the tightness in the front row. And you drop your right shoulder down as low as you can and get yourself into a good position it becomes very hard to be lifted up and walked around. And so once you're in a bad position at the start, that makes it very hard. But for me, it's furlongs to to do and deal with, you know. And don't you know, you could see it on his face, but don't you know it when he woke up on Sunday morning and Monday, his pride would have been fairly heavily battered after that. And um, and he is one of the top proponents of tight head in um uh, in, in the world so I'd expect him to come back with an awful lot smarter version uh, come the weekend but again we haven't seen as much of it as of late because there is no hit Yeah, and I do think it could be a little bit as a coaching reaction to the the handbrake that was put on for the scrum at the start of the season Well, One thing that struck me was um, you know Irish rugby got scarred by the poor performance of Tom Court who I have a lot of sympathy for and who years afterwards spoke about not being prepared for it and kind of being in the wrong position in, at a game in Twickenham and it kind of set off uh, an operation prop where you know we're beginning to see the fruits of it a decade later this isn't the same scenario here at all really what we're saying is that this this group 
will actually be able to learn and it's great to be doing it from a situation where we've won a match double scores it's 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 not ideal that this has happened but it's great that it's happened now as opposed to as I said earlier in a World Cup quarter final or, or semi final and afterwards we're out yeah, look, I couldn't agree with you more. I thought it was a fantastic game of rugby. I've been a little bit taken aback by some of the criticism that's been in there to get the win and the four tries in Twickenham is 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 pretty phenomenal. And I know they're down to 14 players, but um, I thought England tried... Um, I thought England played brilliantly. I thought some of their players were truly phenomenal. Um I thought that they didn't try and play any rugby. They did a little bit for a few minutes and then stopped. And they tried to play a style that would keep them into a game and maybe get them over the game. And And I thought it was fantastic. Um, but I also thought that, you know what, there's something incredibly gratifying watching an Irish team making mistakes, um, but still willing to go for it again and again and again and again and again under the highest pressurised um uh, set of defence and the fact that Ireland continue to play like that and offload and wrap round and have runners in as much of places and it was by no means perfect there were an awful lot of mistakes some of them were but I, I would have said the decision making was right I just think the the technique was wrong some of the passing a lot of the passing was behind which was poor some of the passing was end over end which is hard to catch um some of the penalties that were given away were downright, downright stupid. But if you ignore those, the style of playing and running it had England out on their feet in the last 10 minutes. And and we saw it when, when the bench came on, they came on fresh and came on with, um, with um, you know, a guide from the coach to say, box kick it, get into the right position, slow it down in our half, speed it up in their half. That's exactly what happened and the results turned out to be fantastic. It would be great to see what would have happened if it had been 15, but we, we don't get that. Like, uh, it, it feels like we're the, the commitment to the game plan is absolute and under the pressure when it got to 15-all and the, the England rugby team are channeling their inner John Milans and ripping their jerseys and shouting and celebrating the, the free kicks, it's like... Um, it was amazing like that that atmosphere was incredible and for us to just continue doing the new game plan and then be the new Ireland that must be the most gratifying thing for the coaching ticket and for the players then to have confidence so like it's not just that we beat 14 men it's that we actually went through a bit of fire in the middle of it and came out the right side as we should have done it's it's kind of it's it, I don't know it feels like it's a little bit more symbolic and, and confidence building than if we just won a game 1916 on penalties well, there's a, there's a couple of things for, for me on that. On, on 72 minutes, Jack Conan scored a try. That's as good a try as you're going to see anywhere. The amount of phases, the amount of hands that that ball went through, um, the lines that were cut, the spread from side to side to side, but it was on 72 minutes after we were um, under the cosh. was pretty fantastic. Um, look, for me, the... This is part of a, part of a process to change to something else the risk that was taken with the passes. So the criticisms I'll have, let's go for a few of those first. Um, um, running into contact without the ball in two hands meant three or four of the balls that were spilt were because there were offloads with one hand under a lot of pressure. Well, we know if we play an offloading game in the future, and we try and play it as much as we do now, 
every single team will attack us. If we don't get that piece of of technique right, that the ball is held in two hands, balls will be spilled all the time. So that's something that has to change. Um, some of the penalties that we gave away, hands in the rook, um, hands in the line-out, um, offsides, there's there's stupid penalties. If you're giving away a penalty, they need to be doing something of value. Um, none of those were. Um, but still, I'd go back to the idea that they want to offload constantly it's fantastic and it's we're going to make mistakes with it you know we're 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 not used to this game at all and we're only doing it for maybe six months and a lot of these guys are 28 29 or 35 or 36 so this isn't something they've been doing that they fall back on all the time so um look i just love i love that idea that they wanted to keep going for it i thought they were pragmatic i thought Conor Murray, when he came on, I thought Gibson Park was brilliant. Um, I didn't think he was man of the match, but I thought he was brilliant. Um, I thought Conor Murray came on and played an entirely different style, but played it really well. So he kicked very well, but also he passed very quickly. Um, I thought his pass for, like a mispass on the line to Caelan Doris was, was um, or to Jack Conan for the try, was excellent. Um, but like for me, it was exciting. In the crowd, it was exciting. And I can tell you how exciting it was. Once we got that first try over uh, when um, uh, when Conan scored, loads of the English players or English fans left. They all started streaming out of the ground. It was, they'd had their chance, they knew it was gone. And it was quite an unusual atmosphere with people walking out of the ground, streaming out of the ground at 72 minutes. So, you know, when you say you silence the, the, the crowd, that definitely happened. What a what a great sight to see! We should like we should we shouldn't take this for granted. We shouldn't be whining about ah oh, we were terrible. It's like you know, sport is imperfect. That's why we watch it. Well, it was look, it is imperfect. I mean, I but I have to tell you, it's a great game, and the 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 um, the atmosphere in the ground was was really really interesting because like from the start. Okay, you had people complaining about the red card, but it was a straight red card. It's a stupid tackle. I mean, we how often do we have to talk about that? I mean, I remember having an argument uh, a long time ago with Joe Schmidt over it, and um, he likes he always liked that tackle because it led to that turnover, that choke tackle that we used to have. Um, but the way the laws are reft now is you just can't do it. So any coach that's saying tackling the stand-up position is wrong, any player who thinks that he's okay is wrong, and the referee got it exactly right. He said um, he had, it was a stand-up tackle and he runs the risk of making head contact. That's that's it in a nutshell, you yeah. know, and intent has nothing to do with anything um, because we're trying to get rid of this out of the game. And I can tell you for anybody who says the game is getting soft I'd say there isn't a body there that isn't black and blue after that game. It's, it was an extraordinary game of rugby. But the crowd reacted very negatively to that. Then Ireland started incredibly well. I thought Dan Sheen, two or three interjections down on the left wing were brilliant. And James Lowe, who, look, uh, I'm, I wasn't the biggest fan of his. My God, is he growing into the jersey? I thought he was involved in a huge amount of things that were good. He played really, really well. Scored that cracking try. Of course, all the Irish went mad in the crowd. Um, then um, kind of lost our way a little because of the pressure and the fact that England weren't doing anything with the ball. It's very hard to do a lot when the only place we could do it in was was deep down. But we still continued to do what we wanted to do. 
but the um, the noise in the middle of the game and the noise when it went to 15 all and um, the singing and you know it was it was an electric atmosphere and and then the last 10 minutes Ireland blew them away and uh, the resignation in the stadium was was something as well and and also there was jubilation from Ireland but also kind of recognition that this was unbelievably tough test match yeah and if, if we want to kind of like compound the positivity here as well I guess England playing so well with 14 men suggests that there is more than a puncher's chance of them doing Ireland a big favour on Saturday yeah look I think England have huge capability I think they're very frustrating to play against um, uh, against France It'll be interesting. They just the the one thing about England is they didn't look like they were going to threat threaten the line at all, um, and they need that in their in their in their in their box. They've only scored two tries in the Six Nations, apart from against Italy, um, and Italy always seems to go with an asterisk on these conversations. And um, against France, I could see them putting them under a huge amount of pressure. Um, they. I think they got an awful lot out of the the victory. I'm or out of the defeat. I'm not sure that I would agree with. Well, I'm not sure that I agree with Eddie Jones pretty much any of the time. But um, look, he's trying to find something to hang his hat on for it. But I do think they have a capability, and I also think France and this is a young French team. Um, will not quite know how to deal with an English team. England's backs are to the wall. Um, if they if they lose this, do they come fifth uh, for a second year in the trot? That's a pretty horrendous place uh, for them. And um, you know, it's I think it's going to be a cracking game. I think they have the ability by not playing. See, if you make a mistake against France, they exploit it. Uh, England aren't making a huge amount of mistakes and made very few at the weekend. But they did run out of steam at the end. And whether that's down just to 14 men or not, we don't know. Is there anything that would worry you about Scotland from an Ireland perspective? There's plenty that worries me about Scotland. Scotland have an ability to spark. This is probably their biggest game um, because of having failed at a couple of spots earlier on this year. They'll put everything into this game. Um Scotland are messy. I mean, it's 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 interesting to to watch them. They're 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 messy. They're not. Um, they they don't seem to play coherently. They don't play from one week to the next. Um, my big fear for this would be any level of um, of taking things for granted, um, because I I think like Scotland have the ability to to sparkle and get everything really right. And if it sticks, you can be put under pressure. But, um, look, I'd still expect Ireland to win. All right, Keith, great to have you with us. Enjoy the game of the weekend. Thanks. Cheers, gents. Did you watch the Ireland game? No, I didn't. I couldn't, uh, couldn't say it. No, I wasn't. I was out. But, um, yeah, interesting. I've read a lot about the game. Yeah, it was interesting how it panned out in terms of the early sending. I've just liked the fact, yeah, Keith alluded to it there, in terms of how the teams are looking, uh, looking to play. Got a bit of a sense of that, uh, watching them over a few games different style of play to what we've been used under uh, Smith you, you lads are now better, better than me and yeah it was good to hear them say that in that kind of pressurised environment when things you got that top at Manchester United last night second half things not kind of going your way that bit of panic kind of setting in it's a, it's a natural thing I've I'm, I'm got a huge amount of confidence in terms of you know what, what you're actually doing with the ball it all goes a little bit uh, pear-shaped but obviously Ireland stuck to the stuck to the game plan had confidence in it yeah. 
and tr- kind of trusted it, trusted in it. They went back to get to that. them over the line. Yeah, now you, I don't know, you could argue fifteen men would have been a bit different, but they did what they had. So that that was that was the probably the most the most impressive thing. I mean, can England deal with England? Look to me, looks at physically this big thing about the French, like physicality, isn't it? In terms of the advantages they have, looks to me as if the the English can actually deal with that at least. The French ain't going to physically run all over them is that, a, is that a fair point to make they are the precise straws that we are clutching at this week Kenny yes yes I think we hope they can you know that's from an Ireland perspective we really need that because that will give England an opportunity to kick five or six penalties and potentially win the game that's the only way you can see that happening France also have yeah but that, that could easily happen and obviously the pressure but France also the have creativity to... as well as physicality they sure. do have really no, I, understand, I understand that oh. That's the fear. It's beyond that? the bounds, isn't it? It's not beyond no, the bounds. England no, could, could go there. At least and watch the first half. When, when Ireland won the Grand Slam in 2009, they won it without having the best scoring difference. Uh, they currently have the best scoring difference in the Six Nations, and it's only happened once since then that a team wins the championship, or the team that has the best scoring difference doesn't win the championship. That was 2019, yeah. uh, and, and England didn't do it. So uh, it means absolutely nothing, what I just said there. <laughs> but uh, it's. Uh, I can't see air lads. I can't see air lads buckling at, um, at the Viva, you know, no. sometimes you know the home, the pressure no, playing in front there. No. They seem to respond to that. The rugby lads just seem to kind of thrive off that, feed off it, don't they? Well, I mean, they, we elevates that. We game. did blow, we did blow a game um, against Scotland for a uh, triple crown. That oh, what year was that? Was that 2011? Well, when was that? Well, we would have said 13. It was the end of the Ten years. It was, it was in Croke Park. It was the last game in Croke Park. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. They were going to give Croke Park the send off it deserved, and then they had this damn squib of a performance. Is that Finn Russell playing? Uh, he will be this weekend. Yeah, he's a he'd be a Woody. I've got to do the competition here at eight forty right. this morning today on OTV across all our channels. We have two pairs of tickets to give away to the sold out Ireland Scotland game in the Aviva Stadium on Saturday afternoon, but. We need you to get into TikTok to do this. It's all thanks to Aldi, official fresh food partner to Irish Rugby, who this month launched Play With Your Food with the IRFU. New research by Aldi has shown that over 40% of Irish kids don't eat fruit and veg every day. Play With Your Food encourages kids to think differently about how they consume fruit and veg. To enter, to be with the chance of winning the pair of tickets to Ireland Scotland, you have to do the following. Follow OTB on TikTok. That's at off underscore the underscore ball. That's our handle. Leave a comment with our code word. Just make sure you include the code word, Finn Russell. You've got to be following us because otherwise we can't DM you to let you know you've won the tickets. So uh, let's bring in the papers. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. <laughs> I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, I haven't. Come on, don't, don't be. No, I'm not. Yes. No. All right, we're going to start with otbsports.com and uh, he just needs to mature a bit more. This is Aaron Connolly, Dan, talking about him last night. He scored again for Borough. The Spotify camp now, Barcelona agreed deal with the streaming giants to, um, you know, take money. Uh, Team 33 rides again, Wales Chief Mooney back to Ukraine, World Cup by, and Six Nations is the pinnacle tournament outside the World Cup. That's Brian just got talking about making sure that... Um, we still pay attention to the Six Nations and it's not just a World Cup warm-up. Uh, United take another step into decline at the back page of the Irish Independent this morning and players continue media boycott over GAA expenses dispute. This doesn't show any sign of getting fixed at the moment. I mean, presumably there are talks, about talks at least, um, happening there. Rachel Blackmore's on the front of all the newspapers and the sports sections today. Double delight, racing's golden couple complete back-to-back champion hurdles. We'll talk about that with John Duggan in a little while. Athletic off a straight toothless reds. 
and a few more stories there the uh, the Daily Telegraph rotten Chelsea's humiliating U-turn Chelsea have been forced into a humiliating climb down over a request to play their FA Cup quarterfinal behind closed doors after coming under attack from the government Middlesbrough and a section of their own fans so uh, it's Gibson the chairman of Middlesbrough Steve Gibson described Chelsea's request as abhorrent and described them as a rotten football club. Graham Lasseau said it was embarrassing. A senior government source uh, linking Abramovich to a warmonger says Chelsea's action shows they do not seem to understand the seriousness of the situation they are in. What did you make of Chelsea's request? Yeah, yeah, I don't buy into some of that that you've uh, read. I don't, don't see the lodging in some of the some of the comments there. To be honest with you, I, I'm very surprised they asked for the game to be played behind closed doors. That's the first thing, because that that sounds like somebody's made that decision in isolation upstairs. Because if you had canvassed the Chelsea dressing room uh, before you you made the decision on that, I could, I could almost guarantee a hand on heart, ninety five, not a hundred percent of those Chelsea players would have said, "No, we want the crowd there." I don't care if it's all middle supporters we want an atmosphere there that's where we want to play Yeah. even after the COVID the whole thing that we've been in playing in front of you know uh, empty stadiums so whoever's made that decision upstairs and thought it's in the best interest even for the, in, in respect of the game yeah. what gives Chelsea a better chance of winning that game if there's 20,000 middle supporters inside that stadium that's how I feel that's having played the game and I'm sure most professionals will feel the same so that's what really uh, surprises me. I'm You're saying Middlesbrough fans are useless; they make no impact whatsoever. That's that's the the undertone. Oh here. no, I'd give them, I'd probably the opposite. Own yeah, in terms yeah. that they're very vocal, vociferous, energised the whole, and you respond yeah. to that. that's a normal thing. A sportsman uh, re- uh, responds to that, don't they? I'm not. It's got, I'm not sure where it's going at beyond that. In the it feels like Chelsea are trying to make a point. This about club is rotten to the core. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where where they're going with that. That's. Off the uh, back of that, that's Gibson, using that. Steve Gibson described Bruce Buck, the Chelsea chairman, as an excuse of a man. <laughs> it's a, it's a Joe Raleigh-esque. Man. You can forget about him as a man. I mean, do, do Chelsea even know what's what's going on? Like, are they aware of why there's a bit of controversy around their club, or is their head completely in his hand and they feel that they've been uh, screwed up? Like Bruce Buck would be doing well just to just to shut up, and everybody involved in Chelsea would be doing well just to shut up a, a little bit because well, there would be reasonable well, questions. What, what, what do you mean by that when you say I that? Mean, Who reasonable. in Chelsea? So I did employees. Who no, are dependent I mean, on Chelsea Football Club to pay their wages, no, no, pay, no, pay mean, their bills? I mean, the they should tier. shut up as well. No. They shouldn't come out and say, "Well, hold on, it's my livelihood at stake here." These, what's happened to the football club at the moment? No revenue come in. This club could go under. I could lose my job. I, so those people should should shut up as well. No, not that's not what I Nobody's said. Nobody's talking about Abramovich here. Well, you said everybody within Chelsea. I said, I'm so sorry, what I mean, everybody employed. within the higher... Well, I, I think that everybody who's employed are well open to being asked questions about what the current situation is. Yeah, and in yeah, fairness, people yeah, are okay asking them. But I think, in fairness, when it comes to somebody like Bruce Buck and people in the actual hierarchy of the club, I think there are v- far more valid questions about their relationship with Abramovich than anybody else lower down the food chain at that club. And I think that it is just... But like bra- what? Well, G- give me an example of what, what questions should he be asked, Bruce Buck or whoever those people are working on the... But what questions should they be asked in relation to their relationship with Abramovich? How, how aware were they of the information that was brought out in Westminster last week of the man who pays their wages, the man who they knowingly worked with? I think that even when you go lower down the food chain, I think that it is absolutely open season on, on Tuchel to have to ask to, be, uh, to ask uh, those questions. We've got to move on because we, we've got three more bits to do. We can come back to this a little bit later on. I guess the, the, it seemed like Chelsea were trying to 
pull a bit of politics and see if they could get an easing of the sanctions and it's resulted in a backlash so it has been a bad move all around so uh, right 8.45 this morning uh, here on OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day we're turning our attention to hurling and I'm delighted to say Tommy Walsh is with us Tommy good morning to you yeah, good morning, Jar. Good morning, no, lads. Nothing quite so controversial, I think, in the world of GA. But then, then there's obviously the potential for the the GPA and the GA route to get even bigger. Um, you've been watching this, I presume, with a, an interested eye. Uh, what's your take on the row at the moment about expenses? Yeah, Jar, I have been watching it and see both sides of the the coin. Really, um, like first of all. To look at the two organisations, like, you know, and I've had help from both from, from, from when I started hurling, like the GPA, first of all, like they have been superb for, we'll say, the weaker counties, getting players from from counties maybe that weren't looking after their players from, from, from the get-go. They're now being looked after very well, um, you know, maybe up to, up to this point. And players in the stronger counties, you know, like, so much goes into the game now that your career nearly is put on on hold. But the GPA have been brilliant to, to any player, whether they're from weaker counties or stronger counties, looking after them that they might have to further their education or, you know, go back into the, the education system maybe at 25, 30, 35 years of age. No problem. Anytime you need help with anything, really, as regards player welfare, GPA have been just absolutely brilliant and it's a great peace of mind for any county player to have and as I said probably have helped the guys from the weaker counties more than probably anyone could could, could ever believe then on the GA side of it Ger, you have the same thing like uh, I've been part of the GA since I was probably you know straight out of the hospital you know really I've uh, been brought to games you know training sessions you know every weekend Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays you name it like the, the, the GA and the GA people that run it, they've been incredible. And like I'd say it's the best run organisation, best amateur organisation in the whole world. Like as a family, as a community, like we only saw during lockdowns, nowhere to go, nowhere to look forward to the weekend. You know, when, when everyone was in lockdown, whether you were playing, whether you had a family member playing or not. Um, everybody in the parish looks forward to the game on the Sunday. You can b- build your week around it, somewhere where to go. You don't have to lump the kids into the, the car and go off maybe shopping for today, you know. <laughs> so both organisations have been incredible. So let's put it that way. Then, so the current situation then, it is a little bit complicated because there's the issue around, first of all, I suppose, um, getting paid the, 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 the mileage allowance, whether it's 50 cent or 65 cent. I believe it's back up to the 65 cent now. So in most counties, I believe, they are being paid. So in the, I think some of the weaker counties, they're not. But why are they not getting paid, you know? Like, is it the county board, I think, pays them? So, like, do they just not have the money to pay them or are they just not paying them? So that's probably a whole other issue. Like, as far as I... Just from look, looking at it over the last couple of days, as far as what I can see is, did you have agreed to... Is it four sessions per week and pay it back to the 65 cent uh, a mile? Like, that looks like a good deal for me. So the issue then is, it's, it's, it's around the counties that are not paying them. But then you have to get behind that again. Why Why haven't they been paying them? They mightn't have the money. So I think it's just maybe common sense communication between all parties or probably the parties that are affected, Jer. It's probably the real probably solution to this problem. The, you know? the, and also players who aren't getting paid are essentially training more than four times a week. Is that a problem, in your opinion? The fact that they're training that amount of time, yeah, I should say. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, I know it has gone to new levels. 
it's not a bad idea how it's been done maybe i'm not sure if, if, if it's the way to do it but it, but maybe send out a message that like like we are better writing as being an amateur organization because the county player comes back around the, the, the clubs the parishes he does his his jobs he's around the training sessions there's no we'll say jealousy there's no um you know there's no egos really going around like there's nobody that works hard in the club, putting in hours upon hours, looking at the county player, maybe swanning and saying, look at this guy. He's on 20 grand, 30 grand per year. Um, if he's he's only getting his mileage, it, it's, you know, that's what they, they deserve, you know, for, for the amount. They are the elite players and they are bringing huge money into their organisation. So I think the amateur ethos is definitely crucial for me. And bring it back to the four times per week. Like, if you go to seven times per week, you nearly are professional then. I know they are, they're nearly professional as it is, on. Um, so it's, 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 it's a complicated conversation. Um, like, and it's hard to stop teams. And I know playing yourself now, you're nearly putting in more now than you ever were because you want to be the best. You want to be better than your, your opponents. So it's, 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 it's the, the four times per week is not a bad idea. If they can just come to the table, I don't think anyone wants to fight over this. Just come to the table and, um, you know, because the GPA guys, they're club men and, and county men first and foremost as well. The guys running the GPA are the same. So I think it's just all come to the table. And, you know, maybe if it wasn't, you know, washed out in public as much, might be better for everyone, you know. For everybody, yeah. Obviously, a bit of frustration on the GPA side that they had to go that far. Um, one last question, an obvious one. Would there have been years where you were training more or being at a training session or a match more than four times a week over the years? Uh, no, we only train three times a week and uh, gym sessions then. You went to the gym till February, Ger. Was <laughs> 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 the hurling stopped it? <laughs> that was it. You were just trying to stay fresh for the hurling. Well, it has changed now. So the lads are in the gym. I'd imagine they're back training. Like the science has come into it. You've often have guys on this uh, podcast and this radio program talking about the, the the benefits of rest, the benefits of, of science. And I don't know, is anybody training collectively that much anymore? Like I'd imagine three times nearly max would be the case. And then you go to the gym yourself. And if you choose to go collectively with your friends, maybe that's another idea. But um uh, I think, you know, the, the less training, probably the better. Three times a week, I, I think, is enough because, like, at the end of the day, we live other lives. You have jobs and, and you have social lives. And I think, isn't it, it's like, say, when you're a professional, Jer, you're training seven days a week. Suddenly you're going through a bad period or things aren't going well for you for six months. What else do you have going on in your life? Probably not great for mental health. Towards when you're only training three times a week, getting a gym session done yourself, then great because you have other things going on in your life that there's a balance there yeah 100% uh, we should I know you wanted to talk about the Camogie final the all out of Camogie final between Arrow to Bala and, and Sarsfields um, it was a, a bit of a titanic game between two sides that really have been to the forefront in, in recent years um, what, what specifically caught your eye in this one Tommy yeah well I think it's even the stories behind them Ger. Like Sarsfields came back, they lost the final in 17 and 18, came back against Slot Neil, they came back who, who were a powerhouse themselves that won three in a row. They came back then and won it. And, you know, all the heartbreak and some of them players would have experienced heartbreak with Galway. Back they came uh, to Crow Park for the third time. Like, you know, you have 12 months of waiting around, 12 months of pain and um, come back then and win it finally. I just thought at the time it was an amazing story. Then fast forward through the pandemic, looked like it wasn't going to be paid the club all Ireland. 
But I know from from hearing stories around here, like they, the Camogie, they fought tooth and nail for, for the club championship to go ahead. And they really fought hard for it and the Camogie organisation agreed to it. So they ended up playing the club all in last December, it's a couple of days before Christmas. And um, heartbreak again for him, you know. Uh, uh, Aulart de Bala came on and beat him. Unilace, he got the hat-trick, you know. One of the Kios, I think it was Stacey, was married the day before. Like Just the stories around it were, were incredible. So off the, they took the Christmas off, I think two or three weeks off, as this and the hopper after it. And then back to the final again. Who are they playing on either their nemesis again, Aulart? And um, victory then in the final. And, you know, I thought it was great passages of play in the final team more crossfield ball like the crossfield ball into Siobhan McGrath for the opening goal that probably set the tone for the day in the first couple of minutes was an amazing ball a dream ball for a corner forward she came out took on her her opponent and straight through and straight into the back of the net so I think the story behind that Sarsfield team is just incredible you know and um, the Hopper McGrath like he was a hero for Galway back in the, the late 80s I saw him in the 93 All-Ireland came on then he's put huge huge you know his own Sarsfield team were, were, were a great club team themselves um, up in Crow Park many a day during, during the 90s so yeah it was it was a great final and um, even Owlart Jared the goal I think if any forward line in, whether they're on the hurlers or, or on the Camogie teams if you're looking at the passage of play for, for Una Lacey's goal in the first half Ursula J and it's, it's, it's kind of the chemistry it's kind of the you know the, the, what what the great players they just know what each other are doing Ursula Jacob got the ball around 35 yards out soloed in and if you look at Una Lacey's movement for the goal she kind of turned back in around her, her the full back took the ball on the run on a diagonal run and absolutely a bullet to, to the back of the net so I thought it was a great advertisement for, for Camogie like you know what Owlert you know, the, the one two club Owlerns before um, some of them girls were on the three in a row Wexford team back in the you know, the mid-2000s, and just great careers, great story careers, and it's great to see him getting the, the publicity they're getting now. Like Una Lacey, she's up, and Mary, her sister, they've won, what, three club all-earns. Their mother won five. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret, Margaret O'Leary was her name. She won one way club up in Dublin. It, it was looking it up, I think their name was Owen Rua, but came back and won four at Buffers Alley. And, uh, you know, Wexford to Camogie has been huge for, for, from, from day one, especially the club side. I think Brian Cody's wife could have been on that. I'm not sure. She's a Buffers Alley woman. I know she was an unbelievable hurler. She could have been on that team and must look into it. But right. Yeah, Una Lacey, Mary Lister and Hutter. Right. Uh, the, the genes are five. good and it seems to matter a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And like, like Una Lacey scored two goals in the 0-7 All-Ireland year uh, when Wexford, Wexford won for the first time in 0-7 that time. Uh, with that, with that team, and um, she fifteen years later, two thousand twenty-two. Well, fourteen years later, at Christmas she scored a hat trick when they won it, and just there a week or two ago she scored two goals again. Although they lost, but you know how great has she been? Ursula Jacob, the same. Yeah, know? no, it's some achievement, and it's great that that rivalry has kind of come to the forefront, and people are getting familiar with the characters because that that in turn is going to help make people tune in the next time that they're on telly as well, or or ideally go to the match um, I do want to just talk a little bit about the league and because Hurling sorted out its structures and we now have a brilliant championship in uh, Munster and Leinster the final few rounds of the league it's hard for us to understand exactly what teams are trying to get out of them some teams put in shadow teams and we saw with Cork last year against Limerick it didn't really work out for them in the end other teams are using it to 
make sure there's competition for places. So I, I guess I'm, I'm really asking is how much should we be reading into what happens over the next few weeks? Yeah, I think every team would have different priorities. Starting with this weekend, Ger, like the, the Galway and Clare game and the Cork and Wexford game, they're kind of dead, they're kind of dead rubbers. Like, you know, um, they, they, they all know kind of what's happening in that group. I think Cork and, and Wexford, I think, are nearly through at this stage. I think the big one is the Kilkenny Waterford game. I think you can read everything into that game. I think that will be championship type teams. Um, Liam Cal, he has done so much to implement a character, a winning mentality, a toughness, a mean streak in that Watford team, a, 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 you know, characteristics that's needed to win in All-Ireland. They have made huge progress, starting with the All-Ireland semi-final in 2020, nine points down against Kilkenny. You know, and they had one or two victories against Kilkenny over the previous few years, but usually it was a Kilkenny victory at the end. And nine points down, you would never expect Kilkenny to lose, but they came back because that's what Liam Cal teams do. Uh, his under-21 team with Tipperary Day scored a last-minute goal to win an under-21 learn. So he's been doing this all. His, his teams have been doing this all throughout his, his coaching career. So he's going to try and... He's not going to go up to Nolan Park on Sunday. There's huge interest here in Kilkenny, Ger. Massive interest. I'd say there could be 12,000, 15,000 people in it. We've been waiting for a big game in Nolan Park, you know, for, for a long time. We all remember the Kenny Tipperary one in the championship a few years ago. It was a sellout. Well, this, as a league... You know, a spectacle. I'd say it will be something similar. You know, if you, you know, r- relatively speaking, yeah. uh, huge interest because coming from Watford as well, they had their biggest victory over Tipperary in nearly fifty years. But it's it's the Watford team coming. They have stars and they have a panel. We've seen against Tipperary the one without all the big guys: Ozzy, uh, Callum Lyons, uh, Jamie Barron, Desi. I presume they'll all be back Sunday, and uh, you know we look forward to seeing them and see how our lads do up against them on Sunday, Jar kind of feels like this is where it begins Tommy like I mean a, w- a week off the weather's getting good we're only a few weeks away from championship this weekend is where we can start really looking at the proper form lines yeah um, you're right on like say especially in that game because I think both teams will do everything they can to win it to make a league semi-final and um, huge interest from both crowds like we all saw Bally Gunners last you know last gasp victory up in Crow Park in, in the All-Ireland final and um, Desi Hutchison has been probably the name on everybody's, uh, you know, on everybody's list since since he came back from from playing soccer abroad, and he has not let anybody down. He done it on the biggest stage of all, club all Ireland day, couple of points down. He usually loves the ball out in front, uses his electric speed, probably the fastest player in the in in, in the country at the moment. Said for Jack O'Connor out in front over the bar every time, but it was the goal he got in the club all Ireland on. Is what made me stand up. Caught the ball under, I'd say it was one of the Mullins, probably Darren, who is a fantastic player in Kilkenny club club circles here at the moment. Caught the ball and he didn't go to Dean Mason's strong side. Spun it back around, which was more difficult to do at the time, back into the, the right-hand side of the net. And that probably changed the game and kept him in the game. So we're looking forward to seeing how our guy, Hugh Lawler, who is, went from strength to strength. You know, probably an unknown player, really, from so many years. Had a, had a starring campaign with Lachlan's last year, has really turned it on with Kilkenny the last couple of years and has been early our player of the league. So we're looking to see how, hopefully if Desi is playing, Hugh uh, will, will take him on in Nolan Park on Sunday. What do you think is going to happen? Give us your prediction. Um, I think uh, I think it's going to be tight. Kilkenny have, you're wondering what have they taken, some teams taken out of the, the league campaign. They've found new players. So they've Keane Kenny, They've Niall Brazil, 
um, David Blanchfield, who plays a sim, you know, the new game, which is bring the ball up and give it in a good ball into your forest. David Blanchfield has done that with Venice Bridge for many years. He scored three points the last day from wing back. He's been a fantastic find. So it's kind of new guys on the block for Kilkenny. Hopefully one or two of the Ballyhay left back in against probably the, the new stars of the GA world, I suppose, in Watford. And uh, I'm not trying to build them up. I think it will be a Watford victory on Sunday. I think it'll come all the form. I think the, 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 the new players back in from that were missing the last, it will give them an extra incentive. So I think it will be tight, but I think it will be a Watford victory. I heard you explaining the um, the spine of the Kilkenny team with Joe a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it did sound like you were getting excited, like there's genuine excitement amongst Kilkenny hurling people. Not that you're back, but that certainly there's no reason for this team to fear anybody at the moment. Yeah, and I think that's the case in the whole of the, the inter-county game at the moment. There's nobody really fears anybody at the moment with, with Limerick after losing the last couple of weeks. Now everybody's gone their is up. Uh, definitely the spine around it. And you see, it's the new players then in around the spine. The Keane Kennys, the David Blanchvilles, um, like Owen Cody's a year older, the Adrian Mullins a year older. So not alone have you had a good spine up the middle, which is vital for any All-Ireland winning team. You now have the wingmen beside him. Fierce excitement in Kilkenny because they've seen him in the club scene. They've, like Keane Kenny is like a young Keane Lynch, if you ask me, Jar. So watch him, I think, get better and better as these years go on. Uh, once the management, you know, young players... They often need a management, an arm around the shoulder, you know, because they're going to have good and bad days when you're starting off in your first year or two. But keep picking them, keep playing them, because the stars will come good uh, eventually. So Keane Kenny is, is like a young Keane Lynch to me. So it's the spine of the team with the youngsters around them. And to win All-Ireland's year, you need forwards. And to be not afraid of anyone, you need forwards. We've Adrian Mullen, on Cody, TJ Reid, you know, Parag is up there now. Um... Uh, Billy Ryan just Billy Ryan is really having a fantastic lead fierce speed you know in the full forward line and he's like his club mate Eddie Brennan you know when he gets the ball it's direct straight for a goal so yeah we're excited down at Kilkenny and we're really excited for Sunday Jared, to be honest right really looking forward to it now Tommy good stuff thanks a million cheers yeah thanks lad Best en- luck. enjoy the game that's um, Tommy Walsh wetting our appetite for uh, what most people are complaining about is the end of the league and how close it is to the championship but he's got some memory recall isn't he mm. Tommy he was referencing games there 10, 15 years ago and minute. He wasn't referencing that when they won that game. He was talking about individuals, individual scores. Describe. How old is he now, Tommy Walsh? 34, 35? Ah, no, he's really older than that. Is he? He's really still be playing at that age. Tommy Walsh, Kilkenny, is 38. That's some, that's some memory. Even the, the club saying, boom. I think yeah. most people have that kind of memory except you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember Tony Yaboa, you don't remember David Beckham, you don't remember Paul Canio. <laughs> we have to show you pictures. Well, I'd like to mention uh, he had a uh, Colin and Toy, he didn't, he didn't get the wasn't yeah. suit and boots, but he's us, heading yeah. out to yeah, work. No, 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 Surely he's on his way out the door. Normally people there. respect us, Kenny. No way that's he's it. got into hey. it. I, I saw you on TV last week wearing a shirt. Yeah, and and I was like, funny. Right. See this thing I've got on. I wore this down the gym last week. Got to be honest with you, I actually right. wore it. There. That's the standard <laughs> yeah. we're at. That's the difference. No way he's got suit and boots for the show tonight. No, does. Fact. Big one. One month of championship today. Uh, by the way right uh, yes yeah, so that's, yeah. that's the big okay yeah. 16th of so 16th I don't think you're going to be too much into too many games this weekend actually I think the form lines this weekend will be irrelevant in some cases but but that game he was talking about definitely 5 minutes past 9 here this morning we're going to talk to Andy Mitten next OTB AM back to the uh, Manchester United scenario and situation and I'm delighted to say Andy Mitten joins us Andy good morning to you good morning 
obviously not a great morning for you and um, you know uh, sometimes we do these after a European game and you're absolutely thrilled and buzzing off it and then some mornings it's like this and it's a bit of a wake um, with the, the clarity of whatever comes in the morning after a performance like that where are the club right now and what needs to happen next over the next two months well the club are out of Europe in March the fifth in the table it's been a hugely disappointing season for Manchester United I wasn't surprised that the team went out the team performance in Madrid was atrocious and let's go with a better side at Old Trafford in a horrible game which suited the manager the the referee wasn't the best either but Manchester United failed to land a punch on Atletico whereas a couple of times they split United open so it was a very frustrating night at Old Trafford now the season will just um, flatline down to ending the players will come back and after having had a break because there's no game this weekend, because the team got knocked out of the FA Cup at home by a championship side. And I'll talk about the race for fourth, pathetic that it is. Uh, But financially, getting in the Champions League is important to Manchester United. At the moment, Arsenal are the form team. So even getting in the top four looks improbable. You can see why the club wanted to sign up for the European Super League. It offers some guarantees. And the way Manchester United are going, which is downwards, they need them type of guarantees. And there'll be lots of talk about a new manager. There'll be lots of talk about shiny new players, who's going to come in. And some people will buy that. And some people will just think, same old, same old. Um, the, The one bright spot will be the Youth Cup final which the young Manchester United players have reached for the first time since 2011. Uh, For the rest, they'll be watching on as the main rivals, Liverpool and Manchester City, uh, fight out a title race and probably progress in Europe as well. There's a couple of things that we, you know, we we talk about how the club is run and the decision-making. There definitely has been money around and there definitely will be money available for whoever comes next. Is is qualifying for the Champions League important in terms of securing the next manager, or do you still think that if it is going to be Pochettino or Ten Hag, or you know we've been talking about Thomas Tuchel as a possibility now, all of a sudden that they won't really mind if the team is in Champions League next season, knowing full well that it'll be their job to get the team there, but that this is still Manchester United. I think the Manchester United job remains an attractive one for most managers. If a manager is in the Europa League as opposed to the Champions League and even that's not a given uh, I asked this question to a few people uh, inside the club and one of the answers was given that the Europa League is, is actually better for the squad because you can give more minutes um, to different players but everyone sh- will be trying to get into the Champions League not least the players because their contracts are heavily incentivized towards playing Champions League football. Sadly, Manchester United have been in this situation in recent years where they failed to to finish in the top four. So it may be Europa League or or worse with all the first United football. Given the level of this current Manchester United team, the Europa League is more where they're at. I never expected the team to be winning the Champions League this year. The team only got through to the knockout stage by the skin of the teeth thanks to some late Ronaldo goals against Atalanta, Atalanta, Villarreal and failed to turn up um, in Madrid for that that first leg. So we'll talk about a manager and it's a huge job. I mean, financially, Manchester United, as you said, they've got money. They've spent a lot of money. They've squandered a lot of money. The recruitment has been patchy at best. 
And that's why the team are in fifth position, whereas teams who've spent a similar amount of money uh, are way ahead of United. Only a year ago, Manchester United finished second. So this season has, has seen a notable uh, decline. Go on. And to make matters worse, there's a bulldozer headed right in Old Trafford's direction. Well, I've been writing about this for seven or eight years, about the need to expand Old Trafford, about the need to spend some money on, tra- on Old Trafford. I've done that because I love Old Trafford. I, I, I love football stadiums. If you were to ask me about stadiums in Cork or Dublin, I could hold my own because I'm an anorak for stadiums. So I care deeply about the one which I've been to most. And there will be talks about whether it will is better to rip it up and start again. Uh, I don't think that's necessary, to be honest. I think it, it should be redeveloped. That will cost significant amounts. The capacity should be increased. There should be some symmetry to the stadium because at the moment the main stand is smaller than the other three stands and the roof is an issue as well. It it swoops too low and the original reason behind that was to allow light to get to the pitch but technology has moved on since then. I was in the Bernabeu last week for work and I saw the redevelopment that Real Madrid are, are doing. I've seen the one which Barcelona are planning. These are costing hundreds of millions of pounds. This isn't just... Uh, bolting a few extra seats onto terracing or whatever and I think that should be where Manchester United should be looking at that said the club do own a lot of land around Old Trafford stadium architecture has moved on a lot in the last 10 years let alone the last 20 years you can see the difference between Spurs' new ground and Arsenal's new ground and you, you people will talk about it a, a, a lot I think the reason that story came out the other day was partly because of comments in a fans forum but partly because constructors would have a vested interest if a new stadium was to be built as opposed to a new roof being put on. Are you so emotionally tied to the existing structure that actually you would prefer to see that maintained than the potential for raising it to the ground and building something like the Wanda Metropolitana or something like the Spurs Stadium? Well, Old Trafford is very different to the old White Hart Lane. That held 36,000. That was far too small. Old Trafford held 74,000. It's already the biggest uh, stadium. Uh, with Atletico, the Metropolitano is a, is a fantastic stadium, but it's a 25-minute tube ride out of Madrid. Old Trafford's got a good location, and that would stay because there's land around it. Uh, my preferred option would be to redevelop Old Trafford as it is now. Am I absolutely against it being rebuilt? No. I mean, I've got an an attachment, but what's that to? Red plastic seats. I've seen the stadium basically be rebuilt in my lifetime. Yeah. So it's... um, I I, I just think, think it's not necessary to rip up a stadium that was redeveloped extensively. Uh, between 1993 and 2006. It's fundamentally good, uh, but significant development put an extra tier on top of the main stand put some more executive seats in if that's what it's going to need to pay for them look at the roof and look at the cladding outside of of the stadium as well but it's well served uh, and and it's a really good ground and reports of its death have been exaggerated okay okay that's interesting so and it's actually easier then for the team to continue to have money and investment in it if you're not doing the whole massive rework and again I think that might feed into the the potential candidates Ten Hag went out last night Pochettino went out last week Tuchel still in the competition of the available runners and riders who do you want? 
I want the manager of Spain, Luis Enrique, but you, know, you don't always get what you want, do you? Uh, I think that Pochettino is a, is a good manager. Ten Hag's done a very good job at Ajax. Um, Tuchel is is the the left field option because of what's going on at Chelsea. We don't know how that's going to develop. He's the coach of the current European and world champions. He's clearly an, an, an excellent coach who's conducted himself well, I think, in, in the circumstances over the last week. But the, the decision has not been made. United are, are, are actively pursuing um, the various options at the moment. But yeah, Luis Enrique will be the one that I want. But would I complain if the other ones come in? No. Would I be worried that it's going to be same old, same old? Yes. So would you take another interim to take Manchester United to the end of the World Cup and then get Luis Enrique at the end of that? If that interim be, I don't know who, Ranić, Mark II, you know, I don't know who it would be. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's the right question and that fills me with unease because an interim is an interim and if the club are going to spend a lot of money in the summer, um, who's going to be making those decisions about whether the, those players should come in? Yeah, it's very tangled, isn't it? Andy, great to have you with us and uh, sorry for your troubles. <laughs> Worst things happen in the world, trust me. It's true, it's true for sure. Andy Mitten there, uh, editor of United We Stand. You can read his work in The Athletic and on ESPN, of course, and you can uh, listen to his podcast, OTBAM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Luis Enrique, a bit of a left field one, haven't heard of that too many places. Yeah, no, I think we, when you stand back and think about it, yeah, I think it's fair enough. But the point I'll make, just obviously he's going to lead Spain to the the World Cup in Qatar in November so I just can't see how that's going to work you know you can't extend Rania's contract or another interim like it. can he can he do both job I, I just don't see the fit at the moment uh, with Enrique those are the Ten Hags I just feel as if there's an element there's an element of risk there that you don't uh, have to take as good as job as he's done uh, Ajax um, I just feel Pochettino and Tuch for obvious reasons are the two standout options yeah alright John Duggan's going to join us next here on Cheltenham for tips for day two. Here he is talking to Rachel Blackmore in the winner's enclosure after a historic performance from Honeysuckle. Have a look. Incredible. Uh, she's a phenomenal mare. Uh, we're, we're, so, we're also lucky to be involved with her. Fantastic to have Kenny Alexander here today. And uh, yeah, brilliant to have the crowd as well. How are you feeling going into the race? Uh, I was actually really looking forward to it. Obviously, you know, um, there's a lot of pressure when you when you're riding an unbeaten favourite in the champion hurdle. Um, but yeah, I, I was looking forward to it. Like she's, I have a lot of confidence in her deep down, I suppose, because she, uh, I, I just know what she's capable of, and uh, yeah, it's brilliant. John Duggan, good morning to you. Jar Owen and Kenny, how's it going? Yeah, Grace. Honeysuckle performed Rachel Blackmore performed really I mean obviously um, the horse is, is great but she presented the horse at the right time and it was it was textbook and it was uh, typical so you know you, you know she knows what she's doing to the point where it's like this is amazing to watch Well there's no talk of glass ceilings and never even entered my mind to be honest lads and you're right because the horse was wide and then she brought it inside, which is a little bit of a risky thing to do with horses in front of you. And then she just waited for the gap. And when she got the gap, she took it. And she had every confidence that the horse would produce for her around the bend. And then that turn of foot was unleashed. And then she just stormed up the hill. I was so impressed by the way she stormed up the hill, Honeysuckle. I thought it was a much stronger race, guys, than last year. And Rachel rode with supreme confidence. It's just fantastic for her to have her family there, to have 
a deafening roar. It, like that, that is a cliche, but it really was a, a crackling sound when Honeysuckle powered up that hill, and a lot of pent up uh, feelings from two years, I think, unleashed in the in the ring yesterday at Cheltenham and uh, she got a great reception and it was clearly the story of the day well done Henry de Bramhead as well I was here 14 years ago when he did a favourite for the champion hurdle size in Europe who uh, pulled up with a back problem so you have the bad days but there's been a, a few great days now for Honeysuckle 15 of them to be precise because she's never been beaten uh, Brilliant lines from Barry Glendening in the back of the Guardian this morning Brain drunks, a tidal wave of tweed and mustard corduroy, Ray Parler sculling pints in the Guinness Village at 10.30am. Slowly but surely, nature is healing. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind uh, being down there now today and uh, seeing where it would lead, but unfortunately, uh, these, this is the opportunity cost when you're working. You've got the privilege to be able to see the races. You have to just... Uh, have the opportunity cost of not being able to hang out with Ray Parler. Is, is but he's it, a gooner, so it's probably a good thing. I was just going to say, is, is it okay to be jealous of Ray Parler and Alan Brazil on weeks like this? Um, <laughs> not sure. It's always it's always good to have a little bit of the green-eyed monster when people are swigging pints, but I'll do my fair share when I come home. Uh, I, Rachel Blackmore said she was looking forward to it and she enjoyed it. That's the type of thing where it's definitely somebody at the, the peak of their power is reaching a, a point where you're actually able to lean into the occasion and not be over overawed by the fact that this is going to be, you know, one of the most important races as far as punters are concerned. Really short price, loads of money on this horse, and uh, you just deliver. Well, she's always been on Honeysuckle and they've got that great relationship. And I suppose when you put in the effort, when Rachel's putting this very, very hard working, when you put the effort in at the yard and last year there was a lot of heat on obviously as well. Maybe last year did help with no crowds and that Honeysuckle was able to win the champion hurdle. And a lot of this is about repetition, Chair. And if Rachel Blackmore has won the Grand National, that would just give her a tremendous amount of confidence going into this season. And she's definitely there among the top riders in the weigh room now, unquestionably. And she's an asset uh, for any racehorse. Uh, the rest of the day, uh, England are ahead of Ireland. England almost won as many races yesterday as they've done for the whole of last year. What what happened to our pride Britannia, and hubris? Britannia rule the world. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> uh, so it'll be, I'd say, a bit of a false dawn. I think Constitution Hill was expected to do well and he did brilliantly. 22 length win. It was pretty breathtaking stuff, to be honest. And he could actually go to Punchestown now. That Edward Stone in the Arkle Chase once again was the favourite. Uh, Marie's Rock was a bit of a surprise winner of the Maris Hurdle for Nicky Henderson and then it was a Scottish winner Cara Crambler in the uh, Handicap Chase but like I'm looking at today like we'll win the bumper we'll probably win the cross country Sir Gerhard's and Journey With Me are in the top two for the opening race the Batty Mornoffs Hurdle and then if Shishkin doesn't win it'll be an Irish winner so I think there'll still be more Irish winners than English winners but it's it's not a bad thing that there are British winners this is on ITV this is on terrestrial TV uh, there's 12 times the population size We we want racing to be in the in the back pages and the front pages like it is today and we don't want uh, people to lose interest in it either just because the country just says you know what we're not really into this anymore we don't want uh, racing to turn into Gaelic games where it's just limited to Ireland uh, uh, apparently Barry Glendening just walked past you there you can give him a shout out if you want uh, come here how did you get on more importantly than all of the actual events on the track how did you get on my tips were a washout uh, I had two second places, John Vaughan and Queensbrook, Queensbrook and Arrow second. So I had two second places and nothing else. So it was a, it was a, a duck, as it were, in cricket terms, lads. Uh, so I have to just go again today. And I apologise to people on Twitter and everything. And I didn't get actually any abuse, which is interesting. Unusual. Uh, so, pe- uh, yeah. so people, yeah, so people are, 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 are feeling sympathetic and 
maybe that's the track record of all the previous years. So we'll go again today. We do remember the year that Willie Mullins had no winner for the first two days and still ended up champion trainer, right? Mm. Yeah, well, last year uh, I was behind and I had the last two winners. So uh, it is a very much a four-day thing. But even like personally, I was up. So it can be swings and roundabouts. I backed four horses in one race yesterday. And the one I tipped was ninth. And the other three were first, third, and fourth. That's just Cheltenham. It was just a weird day. Oh, hold on a minute. So there's a Many horse in the race? Five? You're back five? Uh, there was tw- 24. Oh, hold on. I've, I've been... I've been following the, the John Duggan stencil <laughs> and golf and racing pretty much at every event for the last oh, three months. Dear. And you're telling me that you made profit yesterday and I lost all my money. Well, when I can't, uh, for Cheltenham Festival, when you have thousands and thousands of casual punters uh, listen to what I'm saying, I can't be given the complicated aspects of the virtual insanity style for runners in one race. It would just t- turn people off. It would be too complicated. And the horse I really, really fancied was night. Right. Just yeah, but like I suppose there is a difference between tipping and punting. Uh, to a there's an, there's a an internal, difference. there's an inner circle, and you're not in it. She, that's what I'm hearing. Not. I thought we were friends, Don oh, Jordan. Uh, well, it's it's funny because the only the only the only, ca- the only camera I can see right now is Owen, and Owen is looking right at me. And I said, I thought we were friends. And Ryan Bram is all forgotten about, and Luke List is forgotten. Yeah, about. yeah. No, sorry, we established very early on. None of us are friends with Owen. We will all be thrown under the bus first when the new revolution comes, and Owen is the uh, the dictator in chief. There's, there's obviously still a bitterness to 2019 here, you know. Definitely, carrying dubs. Uh, Barry, uh, Barry Glenn, I think, was literally looking over your shoulder perhaps even when I was reading that out oh, there he is again he's, he's okay. hanging around uh, right give us your tips for today <laughs> right okay uh, what are we going with right uh, this is an each way day folks uh, my nap of the day is Elixir de Nuts in the 450 this is the grand <laughs> annual two mile chase at 16 to 1 I was listening to uh, I was listening sorry to interrupt I was listening to Pony or Phony on uh, the Ray Foley show as delivered by the late great JP Gilburn who obviously is not late but um uh, and I, I thought that many of the double entendres he was uh, using were actually completely made up, and now you've just tipped Elixir to nuts. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's funny, it's funny. Uh, I think we're all getting giddy, and that's a good thing. Uh, maybe I'll actually we'll get down to the Guinness Centre after all, lads. Um, so Elixir to nuts, yeah. Uh, this horse won well at Kempton last time in a small field, but he, he jumps well. He won a grade one novice hurdle, the Tallworth hurdle at Sandown a few years ago. He's won over the course and distance. He's got 10 stone 13 on his back. They were thinking about putting him in a, in a better race, possibly leaving the champion chase. And I think Elixir Donuts, with John Joe O'Neill Jr. on board for Colin Tizard, has a good chance of making the frame. A lot of bookies playing six or seven places in this race. So Elixir Donuts is my nap of the day each way at 16 to 1, a good jumper in that grand annual chase. Um, I'm going to go for an each way bet to nothing with Shaq and Persois in the champion chase. He's about 6-1, to 7-1 to one in places. Um, I think he's going to finish in the first three, and if he does, you get your money back, maybe possibly with a small profit. Like He's never delivered away from home, but there's excuses that he was not, I don't think, right at Sandown earlier in the season. In this race last year, I don't think they made enough use of him. Uh, it was a bit of a sprint, and they didn't really use his cruising speed and his jumping, and he was third. At home, he's been fantastic. He's been sensational at home at Leperstown and Punchestown over the last few years. I'm going to give him another chance. There might be the case that the hill is just not suited to him and he just doesn't like getting on the plane or on the boat. But I think Shaq and Persuade at that price, because there is a feeling in my mind that Shishkin and Energaman, who had that race at Ascot the last day, maybe it might have left a mark. And Shaq and Persuade is a fresher horse this year at a 6-1 to one each way. I think he's an each way. That's nothing in the champion chase. Okay. I'm going to go with Journey with me in the first Rachel Blackmore, Henry de Bromhead won this with the same uh, ownership. Brian Atchison, Rob Corr with uh, Bob, Bob Ollinger last year. 
journey with me is about six to one shot. What a point. Uh, I backed him at Leopard Sound at Christmas and he was very good staying on, beat Manella Crooner and Kilcrush. And I think Journey With Me is a tough animal. Sir Gerhard obviously is the one they all have to beat, but I think Journey With Me is a decent alternative. Brave Man's Game, there's this feeling out there that he won't uh, appreciate the hill and he'll get beaten by a stayer, a tougher horse in the uh, three-mile novice chase at, at 10 past two. But I like Brave Man's Game. I think he's really improved. I think he's got a lot of class. Won at Kempton very well. Is a brilliant jumper. You've got to jump around Cheltenham. Like Cabodano has made mistakes. Um, I, I can't really have him. Uh, Ahoy Senior is a galloper, but is he good enough? Like he sometimes can be a bit sketchy at his fences. I like Brave Man's game in that race to win. Um, if he doesn't win, we'll know obviously that the course doesn't suit. Then a couple of other each ways. In the 250, this is the Carl Cup. The boss's Oscar is about 28 to 1, 33 to 1, 40 to 1, with uh, Rob James riding for Gordon Elliott, taking seven pounds off the top weight. This horse has been running over fences, uh, but he was actually second over hurdles in the three mile hurdle here last year when he was favourite. Now he's about 28, 33, 40 to 1. If he has any of his old ability over hurdles, he could be a good each way play for six or seven places. And this is not related to my character at all, but Shady Operator in the cross-country chase is about a 10 to 1 shot and the vulture is the king of the banks he's a brilliant trainer of these types of horses and look tiger roll the rain is going to come here today that might not suit tiger roll as he bids for a swan song to win this race for a fourth time so shady operator each way at 10 to 1 and all of these uh, tips if, you, if you're missing them as i read them out are on otvsports.com right now as well all right john enjoy the day thanks very much for that uh, all right lads take care you can read as he said on otvsports.com we'll tweet them out as well that is john's card and he's got um, amounts beside each of those as well for his charity bet but thanks to betway the Cheltenham festival was a traditional day out for the the footballers i said you can't get me ahead of what john just said there which bit well the fact that he uh, none of his tips came in for for his uh his uh, his followers on Twitter in their in their tens of thousands. Yeah, he came out uh, quiz in. <laughs> How does that work? I know. I'm asking the same. Well, you can't. Coming. You can't give everything. You can't. You can't recommend. Can't, you can't recommend four horses in one race. You give a tip. You don't give a tip. You can't half give a tip, can you? Oh. I wholeheartedly agree. You better back this. up your own tip. You can't give everybody else a tip then go and bet on another horse. Well, he bet on that horse too. That's yeah. all wrong. I, <laughs> that's, all, that's all. I don't think he can recover from that, John. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> we should say, but he is giving us the the surest thing. Can horses really struggle on the ferry coming over on the on the ferry? Is that a, is that a fact? I don't know. I have had that myself over the years. So. Being you can shake it, even the day after. A bit pukey. Your guts are a bit. You know, without getting sick, your guts you're still not. Yeah, you maybe gonna, that's the case. The same with the horses. You haven't got your sea legs under you. And they don't get the opportunity to sit in the Premier Lounge either. The horses they don't. No, they, they don't. don't. We're taking a movie. Uh, very quickly, right? Um, I'm going to do the TikTok com- competition one last time, right? Uh, last chance to enter the competition this morning. Two pairs of tickets to give away today to the sold-out Ireland-Scotland game at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Did you get sorted for tickets, Owen? No. If anybody has any uh, Ireland versus Scotland tickets, I will be commenting on the TikTok, by the way. Get in touch. You know where I am. Why would I give them to you? It's always thanks to Aldi, official fresh food partner <laughs> to Irish Rugby, who have this month launched Play With Your Food with the IRFU. We'll be able to afford them after Cheltenham anyway. To enter our competition to be with a chance of winning a pair of tickets to Ireland Scotland. Do the following. Follow us on TikTok. It's at off underscore the underscore ball. That's our handle. And make sure you leave a comment with the code word, which in this case is Finn Russell. Uh, comment whatever you like. It can be about Finn Russell. It can have nothing to do with Finn Russell. Just make sure you include the words Finn Russell and make sure you're following us. Otherwise, if you win... 
we won't be able to DM you that you've won the tickets if you're not following us uh, no OTBIM tomorrow morning back obviously on Friday with Ashling presenting we'll have JD at Cheltenham Ron O'Gara talking rugby Jess McFadden on the Formula 1 and much more as well before we go um, Jim Crawford announced his under 21 squad we had an under 20 or an under 19 team that was named going to play the Irish amateur side Obafemi's not in the squad, right? And when it was announced, and before Jim Crawford had done his press conference, uh, we just all assumed that he'd been left out because he's going to be in the senior squad because he's obviously been doing quite well recently on loan at Swansea. It's, we're not quite sure if he was if they approached him to join the under twenty one squad or if there's an older agreement in place slash rejection where Obafemi said, "Look, I see myself as a senior international at this stage. I've been in the senior squad. I don't want to go back into the under twenty one squad." I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where to start. <laughs> what question you asked me? Well, Sorry. Uh, should Obafemi be in the senior squad? Is he good enough at the moment? Um, haven't seen him play. What he's been on loan at uh, uh, Swansea. Obviously, that's heavily dependent on who's available. Adam Mead is obviously over the uh, the senior squad. Troy Paris getting games, scoring a few goals recently. At, uh, NK Dons. On the outside looking in, I wouldn't say automatically. From what I've read during his time at Swansea, he's he took a while to get it it's going. A necessity. He, he, he has to be in the squad. It's, it's down to the manager's discretion. You just have to respect it. Whether it's Jim Crawford, I don't understand this. He's he's hit it. He's hit a purple patch over the last. Now he scored twice, so it's four goals in seven games. The last seven games, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you picked your turn up and you plays. You know, uh, simple as that. Okay, so if you don't. You know, you double down. Make sure the next squad's announced you're in there. Keep keep repeat, keep repeating what you're doing. Keep producing those performances. Keep scoring goals. And I'm Jim, sure he'll force his way into that. Jim Crawford's point was he should have showed up to the under-21s because he wasn't playing at that stage for Southampton and actually that would have given him a bit of game time. But when he said not that he wasn't uh, going to be part of that, that he respected oh, that. Oh, but then he said he, he didn't want to be part of the under-21s oh, under squad. Yeah. He said that. He came up publicly and said that. Well, his agent told Jim Crawford who it is now in the public domain. Yeah. Well, then... Well, that's, that's not going to clearly. That's not going to go in his favour. That betrays, gives you a bit of a window in terms of the kind of the mentality of the player to to a degree, and obviously that's going to influence managers in terms of whether they bring that kind of personality into it. Where do you want to bring that actually personality into a dressing room? Let alone about his individual qualities. That's what I suggest. I didn't. I didn't realise he'd come out and said that. I find that quite unbelievable, to be honest with you. That's the case. I don't want to be considered for the twenty ones. I feel as if I'm deserving of a place. In the, senior, in the senior squad if that's what you're saying well then given he's been capped at senior level is, is there is there would you understand his, his point of view given he is a senior international he's got a cap no I don't because I think there was an argument a couple of the younger lads 21s were involved in the senior squad the last few uh, and there was a couple of big 21 uh, uh, games and mm. there was an argument for dropping a couple of the lads Queeven Keller actually uh, in goal I think Jason Knight might have been yeah. there was a couple of the players key players actually dropping them back in the 21s I think qualification was still up in the air then so if me, for me that's a that's a that's a strong argument in fact I would have thought as a player I'd be itching maybe to get back in there the opportunity to go to a major tournament another 21 uh, major tournament with 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 the with the country that'd be a huge motivation for me so it's not as simple as oh it's an embarrassment you're embarrassing me by asking me to go and play uh, with the with sometimes, the sometimes nineteen, twenty, twenty-one year olds don't have that uh, maturity to understand that. Well, you better find it then, otherwise you're going to find this out the position that Abafemi is in there, and he's going to find himself 
on the outside looking in. I guess one thing that we maybe don't know is that maybe there's been conversations that have happened that Obafemi's pretty confident he'll get into the next senior squad. As you say, Ed is injured and Obafemi's in his best yeah. vein of form in a couple It'll of years. It'll be interesting to see, won't it? That's, yeah, yeah that's, that's down to the manager to kind of, you know, marry all those uh, things up. But you'd be foolish, you'd be na- naive to think that when Stephen Kenny picks his squad, he's putting that group of players together in terms of how important the uh, the mood is and the camaraderie in the uh, the dressing room, the, the, like the group dynamic, that the only thing he factors in is the individual qualities of any player. I don't think any manager uh, does that. So that's all I'd say in relation to that. Um, it will be interesting to see Shane Long has played well off the bench has been getting games has scored a goal so maybe he comes back into the reckoning Aaron Connolly scored last night is he in the reckoning you know they all fancy their chances I think Aaron's the reckoning Aaron looks if he's getting more minutes he's scoring a few uh, few goals Aaron, Aaron's in a position where he's learning the game as well probably similar to Obafemi as one of the young players maturing getting games uh, minutes under their belt and actually understanding their, their role in the team and actually learning learning the game and hopefully he'll come back stronger just talent there with Aaron just looks to me just somebody just needs just needs to learn the game really become better in that respect but yeah Callum Robinson obviously Will King got him, came in the last uh, squad didn't he Obiselli at um, uh, Rotherham I thought done really well uh, the last okay, game. Yeah. yeah yeah he looked he looked he looked a real threat high, uh, high up the pitch so yeah, there's a couple of yeah, there's a couple of options there around the uh, periphery yeah alright all right. Kenny good stuff thanks a million happy St. Patrick's Day to you Give us a tip. Enjoy the Wouldn't parade. You, give me a tip. Oh, give me a tip for the Gold Cup. If I'm finished with John, finish with him. <laughs> well, he's getting his tip. Give me John. one. I'll, I'll be following John. You see. <laughs> Go with Galvin. Is he going to be giving you his tips, or is he going to be giving you his Twitter? Wh- which tips is he going to be giving you? Have we? Go with Galvin. Done, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to slide. You're confused now. Are you going to insist he gives you and introduce myself? Be like John. I desperately need some some money, please. <laughs> Right, that is uh, the first part of today's uh, OTBAM. OTBAM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.